Hello, this is William Fink, and this is Christagenia Internet Radio. Today is Friday, March 5th, 2021. Praise Yahweh, the God of Israel, and thank you for listening. I'm not certain how this is going to turn out this evening. This is an open forum program on our new video conferencing server, and we haven't yet worked out all of the glitches, but the first one went well, and now this is our second. I didn't want to do an open forum until the beginning of April. However, Melissa, my wife, and I have been on a road all week. It's been a difficult road trip with too many stops and too many distractions. So I decided to do an open forum this Friday instead. And I appreciate and thank all those who have joined us this evening. That's about all I have to say for now. I don't know if anybody wants to speak. There's a lot of things going on in our Christian identity, in our wider Christian identity circle to speak about. We've been addressing Trinity doctrine. There's a few things I myself would like to have feedback on from our listeners and friends and speak about. Especially how to relate or explain what I think is most important, which is the approach to scripture which we take at Christagenia. The academic approach to scripture upon which we build our worldview and our doctrines, if I have to use the term doctrine. Many young Christians today, and especially those who are just awakening to Christian identity truth, do not have the same principles of biblical interpretation and the same method of structuring doctrine the way that we do, where the word of God is paramount. And if an idea does not uphold itself throughout all of scripture, then the idea must be rejected. But if a concept or idea or doctrine, if you will, does uphold itself throughout all of scripture, then it must be maintained. And and that, I believe, is, I've explained this differently in different ways in the past, but that, I believe, is paramount in developing a proper Christian worldview. Paramount above all things, because the scripture is our guide, the word of God, and not the sophistry of men, even if those men happen to be church fathers. So with that, I mean, I I would like to, hopefully that will kick off some sort of discussion. If anybody else wants to speak, perhaps not. Perhaps our listeners, our other participants here, there's probably about, there's at least a dozen people here. Perhaps they don't know how to unmute themselves. You'll have to. Um, yeah, everyone, everyone is starting muted. So you can just select the mute button and then I will unmute yourself and you can talk or whatever. You'll have to un- you'll have to unmute yourself when you want to speak. Yeah, the Trinity issue sure has gone around, <clears throat> made its rounds the last month or so. Uh, I think we've done an excellent job of 
covering that and everything uh, uh, that satellites the issue as well. Eric, well, thanks for pitching in. I, I, I don't, yeah, the Trinity issue is um, at the foreground, and and it's it, it's sad to me when people come to Christian identity awakening and set out on the path to truth that they would be or or that they would remain caught up in Judeo-Christian or especially in Roman Catholic Church doctrines, which have been wrong for 1700 years or for 1500 at least. So that that kind of sort of mystifies me. If, if you're going to follow Roman Catholic Church doctrine, that then, well, I, I mean, you see the end result of that, where, where the Pope is prostrating himself before Negroes and kissing the feet of beasts. Yeah, I think the only thing we haven't really talked about in regards to the Trinity is well, what is it that compels these people to, for some reason, believe that that Yahweh can't do all these things, that he can't be all these things, that he can't do all these things and do it all at once and just be one thing. Why is it as soon as he's a, a burning bush or, or Yahshua or, um, or the cloud, they're suddenly like, he, he has to be a separate thing. Like he's there, so he can't be there. But at the same time in other doctrines in their beliefs, Judeo beliefs or CI beliefs, they they believe that he's omnipotent and omnipresent. Right. right. People are, are trying to confine God to the the, the understanding of man and, and the abilities of man. They're trying to con- project their own abilities and their own limitations onto God. What, which is, to me, it's ludicrous that you would think that because God has multiple manifestations, that each of those manifestations must be a different person. Paul of Tarsus condemned the Romans for changing the image of the invisible God into a a mortal man. So God is not a person. That word person in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3, Yahshua Christ or Jesus Christ is the substance of his person. It is the image of his person. Jesus Christ is the image of the person of God. And and I really believe that Paul of Tarsus is trying to explain that Jesus Christ is the person of God because that word person is hypostasis. It doesn't mean person as we see the word person. Hypostasis merely means substance. That Christ is the image of the substance of God. And every person has substance that can't be seen by other people. So if Christ is the image of the substance of God and God is invisible, then as we perceive, as we can perceive Christ, he is the person of God. So 
he is not a separate person from God because God, Yahweh God, has no other person other than Christ. So I don't know how you get two people or two persons out of Yahshua Christ and Yahweh God. Even if in human form he calls himself the Son, that doesn't mean that he's not also the Father. Because Yahweh, God, as you said, can be both. And he could be both at once. As I said in my last Trinity podcast, where Paul referenced the Spirit of the Lord, and and he was speaking of the Holy Spirit, that that is the Spirit of the Lord, Curios, and there's only one Curios in the New Testament, yet that same word Curios refers to both Yahweh of the Old Testament and Christ himself, and that's his spirit. It's not a separate person. It's aspects of the same person, being, entity, which we know is God. I don't know why it's so hard. I don't know why we need to resort to these terms which are not found in the Bible, like Trinity, or even person, in that sense. I don't know if anyone has anything to add to that. Well, it it certainly ties into uh, what you were saying earlier, is how how we convey and how we get the message out. Because look at uh, how much damage the false doctrines do. I mean, that's where this trinity keeps making its rounds and rounds, because that's what people learn from other people. Their pastors, these denominational sectarian churches and whatnot, um, they're just following the leader. It goes even further than like just the Trinity and stuff. They can be swayed by people like Sloan that all Adam or all Israel isn't saved or or not all in the book of life or something. And they have no idea what brother damning is or brother cursing. They don't know what these terms mean. Uh they don't even know how to to label someone a brother. They think I think they think anyone who thinks Israel is white and uh is, you know, a Christian, so they say, is their brother. Right. Without the full understanding, uh, there's just so many pitfalls. And I mean, that's only, it, it, it's a big part, but it's it's only a part. Granted, it is one of the biggest, if not the biggest issue. But uh, without the full understanding, um, I mean, that's a, it, you're bound to fall off the course. Well, we can get to the all Israel is saved issue just a little later, Zeph. But, but this. Well, no, I was just explaining, like, they don't have the basic, like, thought processes needed to get to where they need to be. They're stuck in, you know, the church doctrines or their buddies, I don't know. And, and they don't even understand, like, I've tried to explain to them, you know, being friends with someone like Sloan, someone who, is preaching to go out and eat pork or do whatever you want. The Mosaic law is gone. And that's their friend. That's, they're taking on his sin and they don't, they don't accept that, I guess. I don't know. The, the, um, right. The pork issue is another issue. And, and that also comes from Catholic Church doctrine, thinking that Jesus died so that we could all eat ham sandwiches, as Clifton used to put it. 
to me, the Trinity of, of, of all the issues, the Trinity is the, the most important. And, and Zeph, you mentioned the, the thinking process and the thought process, which goes back to the fundamental issue of principles of, of biblical study that I had tried to outline in, in the opening remarks that I had here this evening. But this Trinity issue is the biggest of heresies, in my opinion, because it leaves open the possibility that if God is three distinct, separate, but equal persons, and that's what the Roman Catholic Church claims, then that leaves open the possibility that other races and people of these other false religions could worship the same God, but just not the person of Jesus. And that's what got us into this mess. That's what has gotten us into the mess that we are in today by admitting these Jews and these Muslims and imagining that, and, and most whites today imagine that Jews and Muslims worship the same God. They just don't worship Jesus, which is absolutely contrary to the New Testament. Exactly. So, so that's a huge mistake. Not only a modern interpretation of scripture, that's a huge mistake that has caused us pain and suffering all throughout history. When the New Testament has clearly informed us that Jesus Christ is God. And if, the, if, if you don't have the Son, you don't have the Father, as John explains in his first epistle. So that's where Trinity's doctrine has gotten us. It's gotten people to disregard that New Testament. I mean, even Martin Luther didn't get it uh, altogether by the end. He still promoted that uh, Trinity dog had dogma or whatever. And even though he had very stringent, um, uh, whatever you want to say, actions against the Jews or what he promoted, uh, in the end, that still would have failed. I mean, it's there. there's another prominent figure um, where the Trinity just leads astray. Right. And, and I think that that has caused us pain all throughout history. And that, that doctrine it is has opened the door for ecumenism between Christians and Jews and Muslims, which is happening at this very day. Uh, I just wanted to add on to my point earlier where they're taking on People like Salon Sin, when they're friends with them or promoting their work, even uh, when they when he goes off the deep end and starts calling William a a Jewish federal agent and telling all of his friends and their mamas that you should stay away. And that's still your buddy. He's still a great guy. That doesn't sound like a great guy to me. Yeah, well, that's a gatekeeper. I don't care if people don't like me personally. I, I don't care what they want to think of me personally. But my work should stand on its own, examine it, and, and show me where I'm wrong. And, well, my and point is that he's saying that you're a literal mamzer to people. He's saying, I believe that Jew is not white. Uh, Bill is not white. So he's damning you and... They don't understand what that means. All, all of his little buddies. Well, well, yeah, right. It's slander, and any accusation without proof is absolute slander. It's slander, but he's using that slander 
to divert people from examining the the, the matter of the issues. The, substance. the multiple papers we've put out for them to read and learn. And they have put out nothing. Well, something tells me Sloan's going to have six or seven years to write his Trinity paper. At least. I, I, I don't know if we, we um, intended to talk about Sloan tonight. We can talk about Sloan. I mean, the, the slander that he leveled against me and against my work and the ridicule he had for me for my past and and then ridiculing me he goes and 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 commits a much more horrible crime than i ever committed and and it it's the the same crime practically that i was accused of except that he beat to death the mother of his own child right in front of his child evidently I mean, I understand there's no conviction yet. There are only charges. But there must be substance to the charges because Sloan is still detained. So he, I mean, Yahweh, I said several weeks ago that Yahweh punishes men very often with their own delusions. And and people that had, had followed Sloan in, in this recent debate, that should give them cause for reflection. That alone should give them cause for reflection. Well, hopefully he will gain some insight. And some I'm, self I'm sorry. I'm just afraid that the Canadian prison system is so soft that he's not going to gain the insight he should. <laughs> well, hopefully at least some... Uh self-reflection or something. At least give us some livelihood, you know, an actual, like, paper to debate the topic and things instead of a, a clown room where you can go and, and joke around. Well, if anything, it goes to show the depth of the understanding, uh, especially at Christagenia, because it was never... It was hardly a... A blip, I mean, it was dust in the wind as far as, I mean, if anything, all it did was make a lot of us a lot better at understanding and arguing against the Trinity. Right. We should have all these um, topical discussions down pat. We should. I've only been at this... 22 years. I'm sorry. In, in reality, maybe since I started writing about 16 or 17 years. But but I've been concentrating on, on um, biblical commentary for the last 12 years. Eventually, I'll get around to topical discussions, probably with sections of my own biblical commentary and, and putting them into a more, more of a topical discussion format, I, I would hope. But it, it takes time to formulate all of these arguments, to collect all of the um, possible thousands of passages. But when you want to debate Trinity and, and oneness, as they call it, I don't call it that, but they call it that. 
The Trinitarians call what we believe oneness, and, and then they even slander it with terms like modalism and things like that. Well, well, if you want to debate that, there are literally thousands of passages which prove our point. And they are overlooking them. And I, I merely touched on some of them, some of the passages in, in the last Trinity podcast, the last, the, the Compare review that I did last week. You know, every time that the word curios is used in the New Testament, it refers to either Yahweh or Yahshua, but it's never distinguished which it refers to. So who is it referring to? And if there's one Lord, because that word is translated curios, in, in Greek it says one curios, and that term curios refers to Yahweh in many passages in the New Testament, but it refers to Yahshua in many, then who is the one curios? I don't, that there's things like that that are right in front of your face and they don't get it. They don't see it. It's incredible. Right. It, it becomes apparent that it's either a self-willful ignorance or a possible agenda. I don't know. I mean, there's been plenty of times where it, it has grown tiresome, but uh, I mean, it's never going to be a dead issue until the end. Um, but it does serve as a, as an excellent vehicle to, um, uh, to turn or uh, <clears throat> explain other facets and uh, areas of scripture as well. So it, it does serve as a good vehicle in the meantime. Well, it does. It does. I, I mean, it encourages us to look and dig deeper into these issues and, and think about them at, at a little more deliberately, perhaps, or deliberate on them at greater length and depth, perhaps. It does. I agree. It's good for us. The disputes are good for us as a community if we don't simply brush them off and instead we more explicitly state out and, and more comprehensively state our arguments. Right. So what else do we have to talk about this evening? Is that it on the Trinity? Can we hear from anybody else? Does anybody else have anything to say? There's about 18 people here now. I don't know. Well, I, I was just wanting to say one thing on the Trinity. It, it allows the concept of Jesus loves everybody to come into play as well, because then people say, well, Jesus is separate from the God of the Old Testament, so therefore we can just, you know, he loves everybody, but the old God, he was just a, a mean God. Right, that's I, I absolutely agree. It, it allows Christians to follow their um, two different God, separate testament concept, which is a lie. It, it's a total deception. And anybody who understands Christian identity should understand covenant theology, should understand that the God of the Old Testament never changes, and he doesn't go away, that he is also the God of the New Testament. So no, it, it's that there's only one person of God, and that person is Christ. And unless we understand that, we're never going to come to the truth, ever. I was just going to add a little bit. Maybe Sloan will uh, 
use his time wisely because he'll have time to read and study. Well, well, yeah, I would hope that, Don. I, I really would. But somehow, I, I don't know if it's going to happen. If, if you start off with bad principles, then you, you're just going to go down rabbit holes. That, that's my opinion. But when I started to study Christian identity, I, I decided that I, I can't explain everything I decided, but the, the principles that I, that, that I espouse today, that the Bible and, and of course, that, that Bible is a trick word, right? Because what we consider the Bible to be varies from person to person. But the scripture, let me put it that way. The scripture is the only authority. And if an idea or a perspective on scripture is true, then it has to hold up through the entire scripture. As I said at the beginning of my remarks this evening, that the, the principles that I espouse in all of my work, I developed those. I decided on those first. First, before I even started to ever lift a pen and, and attempt to discuss the Bible. So having the, the, in my opinion, if you approach the Bible with the wrong attitude and the wrong perspective and you don't have those principles, then you're only going to come to error. When you imagine that one verse disproves another verse, if you can imagine that, because Sloan imagined that, that then you're only going to make mistakes and come to error and, and indulge in heresy. I don't know if I'm making sense, but that's the way I see it. Howdy, y'all. Uh, I'm kind of new here as culture critic, and uh, I've seen some of the stuff in the chat about Sloan and the Trinity and, and whatnot, <clears throat> but uh, apparently... This Sloan character is up on charges or something in Canada and going to the to the big house there, or what's the deal there? I don't know. Maybe Zeth can explain. I could explain, but I'd rather hear it from from y'all. Maybe Zeth could explain that for us. Uh, well, pretty much, uh, how we everyone found out was through his Facebook people posting on his wall who knew him. Saying he got arrested for beating his wife to death. And we got the news article and everything and we get his name and it's pretty close to Sloan Sutherland. Uh, and it's the same age in Canada, all this stuff and he's gone from the internet so we just got, we know and now we've been waiting for him to, to go to court or whatever but it keeps getting delayed. So he's been in jail or whatever this whole time since, like, I don't know. He's been in there for, what, like a month almost? Two, three weeks? Dang, if if this guy actually beat his wife to death, I mean, that is the most hideous thing for someone even purporting CI or, or kind of. I mean, that's just brutally hideous, guys. Yeah, we got to, um, I mean, I can turn my camera on too, but it, it's, people might, it, it's better that we all start nuded because people might, um, might not want their cameras on, to be honest. 
Well, uh, I think it's quite interesting what the uh, Jews believe in the matter of their God and how they're not strictly monotheists either. They're more aligned with the Trinitarians, in fact, with what they believe in the Zohar and the Kabbalah with the Sephirots and how they have three levels of the superconsciousness, which from them emanates seven divine emotions. So their idea of a god is more aligned with Trinitarians than to you know, sincere Christianity, I think. You know, it's interesting. I really haven't studied that. I, I, I really haven't studied what the Jews think about anything. I'm sorry. I, I, I mean, I've read the, the, the standard passages in the Talmud that, that are quoted in, in many right-wing, um, how, how do I put this? Mo- mostly in books that the mainstream considers conspiracy theories, right? Elizabeth Dilling and things like that. I, I've read all those passages, but I really never cared to actually delve into what Jews think about facets of scripture. Because who cares? But you're right, that is interesting. I would agree. Culture critic, to answer your question, Sloan Sutherland had been, um, as Zeph said earlier, he he was slandering me because I was once charged with beating a non-white to death, and I was. I was charged with that. And he was slandering me that I beat an animal to death. And that I must be a terrible person for beating an animal to death. And it's within two weeks of his slandering me in that manner. Now he's charged with beating the woman who had his child, his own wife, to death. So that's why I said Yahweh often punishes us with our own delusions. That seems to be the He is charged with second degree murder. Yes. Yes, that's what that is. It's non-premeditated murder. That's second-degree murder. I'd like to see his Facebook post now. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm not going to gloat too much, but Sloan must have been on a path to destruction, and perhaps his um, his double-mindedness in, in his Christian identity profession is only a reflection of the path to destruction that he was on in his real life. That's what I believe. Sounds like this guy's pretty dang crazy. Yeah, well, that's that. That's the um, <laughs> that's the simple southern man's way of putting it. <laughs> He's just pretty dang crazy. <laughs> I don't know if we have anything else to talk about this evening. But this is important. I, I mean, Trinity is um, is a heresy, and it's totally incompatible with Christian identity and covenant theology in many, many aspects. Probably many more than I even answered the other in, in my last two podcasts on the subject. I'd just like to say that that uh, podcast you did with. The leader of the League of the South was really, really good from, you know, a Texan point of view, of course. Well, I'm glad you liked it. And, and we love Michael Hill and we hope to have him on again soon, perhaps in April. 
Texan over here living in the free world. Hey, uh, Coach Critic, I, I got a question for you. Um, w- any thoughts on uh, LBJ? Uh, I never personally liked the guy. I think, you know, besides the whole weirdness with JFK and whatnot, but he seemed to me just to be a big scammer, uh, wanting a lot of minorities, of course, to support the Democratic ticket and whatnot, but really untrusted. Have you, have you heard anything about him being a, a, a crypto? I'm not sure about that. That uh, I really can't comment on it with any degree of certainty. I guess not every Texan is an expert on LBJ, just like not every not not every Yankee is an expert on John Kennedy, right? Reckon so. So there were actually a lot of um, like German uh, concentration camps in, in Texas during World War Two, right? And it's interesting that there was a. Uh, there was an apology that was made to the Japanese for the internment camps, but never to the the, the Germans that were held in, in uh, camps in the United States. We've got a lot of folk here in Texas that are Germanic origin and Czech. Uh, they're really big up in the central Texas region, but, you know, interspersed throughout. But definitely in central Texas, you know, from around Bernie – San Antonio, Kerrville, uh, on up Canyon Lake, Marble Falls, Fredericksburg, all that goodness. Uh, there's a lot of Germanic descent here. And it was even interesting. Uh, this was about, I don't know, 10 years ago. I was up in, uh, Fredericksburg at a stinking Oktoberfest and went into this little shop right on the main drag. And sure enough, they had Nazi memorabilia in this shop, real stuff, you know, real, not no repro, real stuff. Uh, rough. There in the shop is kind of surprising. Well, well, that's interesting. Yeah, that's apparently, interesting. I guess there were actually some parts of Texas where they had their own dialect of, of German. The Nazi memorabilia is interesting. Melissa and I were at the Smoky Mountain Knife Works yesterday. We walked through. I hadn't been there in about five years. There's a shortage on bullets everywhere, right? Everybody's complaining there's a shortage on bullets. I don't try to buy bullets because the the, the, the government won't let me play with guns any longer. Well, well, anyway, we walked through the Smoky Mountain Knife Works, which is a huge store that sells knives from all different manufacturers and the shelves were half empty the stock was way down it it was incredible they were actually moving non-related merchandise into the store i guess because they have to sell something to try to pay their bills so we saw a, a, a whole section on national socialist World War II Germany memorabilia. And they actually had, and we took some pictures. They actually censored all of the swastikas with white tape because they didn't want to display the swastikas in their store. 
<clears throat> and then they put up a a um a, a rather profane not not profane in 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 the sense that it contained what what we call cuss words but profane in the sense that it, it its language was very weird um it very unbecoming of a professional setting let me put it that way that that the language it used was just I can only define it as strange that this sign it it Melissa just passed her her phone to me she brought the image up it it says um the Smoky Mountain Relic Room staff or our customers in no way condone support or agree with the flat out bat crap crazy racial ideology and and that's the profane language i'm talking about evil and the anti-humanity propaganda associated with artifacts of the third reich and and it goes on to talk about or or to make excuses for their selling this memorabilia but that they were falling all over themselves not to appear racist and they actually took white tape and they covered all the swastikas on every item they had in the in the case of of this national socialist memorabilia and and it it was just ridiculous it was wow um political correctness on steroids it was crazy. The white tape probably ruined the memorabilia too. Well, well, most of it was metals and, and things like that. That really, it, it was like a lightweight white paper that looked like tape, but it wasn't a heavy duty tape, right? So it might have been a had some light adhesive on it to make it stick. AC run up. Was that stuff generally a reproduction or was it like original? No, all of this appeared original. It all looked original. That they had hats and, and medals and badges and all sorts of things like that at exorbitant prices. I couldn't think about buying any of it. They must be Jewish. They don't mind making money off of it, but they don't, they want to say bad stuff about it. <laughs> Right, Don. That that was <laughs> Melissa's reaction. Melissa's reaction when she saw that display is these people that own this place must be Jews. Roger that. In Central Texas, there at another place, uh, Round Rock, north of that gay ass Austin town. I was in there uh, at a like an antique mall kind of deal, and they had a bunch of swords in the case, and on the very bottom. They had what I could automatically determine was an SS officer's sword. And the part of this price tag that was sticking out was $99.99. So I was like, holy shice. I called over a, a clerk or whatever and had him open up the case and got looking at that price tag. Oh, yeah. It was $9.99.99. Uh-huh. Well, they're looking for that one sucker who'll pay big bucks just to have some sort of trophy on his mantle. It's not me, that's for sure. They could keep that stuff. It's not even worth that much. It 
if it's in like good condition, I think they're worth like seven thousand dollars, and that's it. Even seven thousand dollars is a lot to pay for a trophy. Well, yeah. yeah. Okay, I think it. I, I think that's a form of idolatry. I really do. It could also be like uh, investing in something real. To me, investing in something real would be investing in land or, or in tools to produce food or work land or something. That's something real to me. Oh, okay. Ammo. Yeah, ammo works, but at a dollar a, at a dollar a round, I don't know about that for a nine millimeter. It's just going to bounce off something anyway. <laughs> Yeah, these ammo prices are absolutely crazy. I've been a reloader since 1994 and been, you know, stocking up over the years since 99. So I'm not like hurting on the ammo situation for factory and whatnot. I mean, primers right now, powder, bullets in common flavors is pretty much just unobtainium and you know, it's just a crazy situation. I, yeah, I wouldn't, regardless of how ammo is a tangible asset, it's like at these days, prices is totally insane. I, I agree. I, I mean, it's it's probably not worth buying it at, at exorbitant prices. Somebody named Sean said he would like to speak, but Sean, you could unmute yourself, unmute your own microphone. And, and at the proper appropriate time and, and speak. Don't feel bad, Sean. Some of this, this is, I'm the first time here and it takes a little getting used to there. Sean. Actually, you, you might want to mention that if you tap on the S, it'll actually bring up the, uh, the icons to unmute the mic. Well, he's not muted now. No, his mic is not muted right now. What's the what's the hand signal in the upper left hand corner? It's just a toggle thing on the bottom left of your screen. If you're on PC, could just be learning the controls yet. Sean, you're not muted. You can speak. When I go to it, it says his connection is lost. Ah, I don't have that. Well, well, well. I see Dasho's here. What do you got, Dasho? Uh, nothing much. I'm still alive. They haven't killed me yet. Billy Roper's hanging out with Eva now, but I doubt y'all care about that. That's just gossip. Yeah, you know, we did hear about that in the Chris again in the chat today. How are you gentlemen doing this evening? <laughs> He's saying he's hanging out with who? I'm sorry. I said Billy Roper is hanging out with Eva now, that feminist that y'all ran off the forums. I'm sorry. I, I muted I, I muted myself by accident, or, or I thought I was unmuted, and I started talking. How, Dasho, we did hear about that in the Christiania chat today. I forget who posted it, but somebody posted some of your statements. I just shared what Dasho said, yeah. But okay. I, I said, you know, but I don't know everything remember. yet. I don't remember running an Eva off of the forum. We had an Eveline on the forum. So I'm not sure who you mean by Eva or connecting that to a particular forum member. 
I'm sorry. Uh, I, I may have, I may be misremembering. I thought she used the same name on the forum as well, but I, I know for a fact it's the same person because she's still mad about it and she talks about it. But, uh, it was, it was that, I think she's, she's like 40 years old or something. It's that, it's that feminist woman who came one of the forums and started trying to, to tell everybody that they were wrong about everything and y'all chased her off. She's still mad about that, by the way. <laughs> okay, well, that's happened a couple of times. So, uh, uh, with um, women the last few years, that there was the wow. I don't know if I could confound them or explain them correctly, but that there were several women the last few years who were uninvited from the forum for one reason or another. But Evelyn wasn't run off, but that's who I was thinking of. So, I, I don't know. I would need more information to match. This evil woman up to a particular, particular, particular. I don't know how I got that feedback, but that's okay. You know, actually, uh, Don had uh, brought up something interesting the other night, and he was saying that Bill Clinton had actually chosen Merrick Garland to head up the prosecution on the uh, Oklahoma City. Um, trial with McVeigh, and that um, and that was because of that whole um, event that Clinton was able to get his domestic terrorism bill passed. And it's interesting that you know we fast forward to now, and the the FBI is saying that the greatest threat is domestic terrorism. I don't know if they're saying the greatest threat is domestic terrorism or the greatest threat is white people. <clears throat> but I don't well, know what yeah, it has that, to do with Billy that, Roper and Eva. That's what's called. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Sorry. Basho, I'm sorry. I, 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 Bill, I want to get back to Martin, but Billy Roper is a straight clown. So explain in brief that he's promoting this evil woman who is a feminist that was run off the forum. I'm I'm curious about this. Oh, it's it's um so okay. Here's 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 essentially what's happened. Do any of you all know who Gypsy Crusader is? If you don't, that's fine. Nobody You've probably seen he's his clips. He's an actual gypsy. Yeah, he's he's, he's he he paints himself like Joker and he does jokes on Omegle. Yeah. Uh, dresses we, up. Yeah, we have a, a channel on Telegram that we call Grip Patrol, where we try and, and dox and uh, get in on people who are in the nationalist movements just to make money and just just to take advantage of people. Uh, gypsy Crusader is an actual gypsy. He pretends he's white, but he's not. He's, he's his father's uh, DNA test once, and he's completely non-white. He's... He's, I think he's the closest thing to being white is he's like 30, 30% Turk or something. It's, it's, it's pretty funny. But the point is, he's not white. Uh, he's not Christian. Uh, he's, he's, he's a huge clown. He literally paints himself up as a clown. He paints himself up as the Joker and he makes jokes and he tries to sell people patches and t-shirts, which he ships to you if you give him your mailing address. You have to, you have to give him your address for that. So he has doxes of a bunch of stupid people who bought merchandise from him. So what we've found out is 
His dad, his father, the the guy who's who's like a half Turk, uh, was surprise, surprise. He was a member, he was an agent in the FBI. So a lot of us think that Gypsy Crusader is probably an FBI asset. I don't think he's smart enough to be an agent, but he's probably at least being used by them. And we've been warning people for a long time. Don't, don't interact with him. Don't give him any information. Don't buy anything from him because he'll just hand your docs over to, to, to the, to the cops, to the federal authorities. And you'll just be immediately put on a list. You'll be no knock rated or something. So don't interact with him. Don't do anything with it. Um, this Eva stuff, started out unrelated to that because what happened with Eva is there was a really big circle of people who were, uh, who, who were a, a, a group of channels and, uh, internet websites that were connected to each other. Wishlists. And it was people in Europe. It was people in America. It was people in England and Canada and Australia and New Zealand. And it, the, the channel on telegram got big enough that it got taken down. It, it, whoever was in charge of that at, on Telegram, it got nuked because they claimed they were domestic terrorists. You know how that goes. It got too big, so it was killed. Eve, what Eva did was she deleted her own personal channel and made a new channel that was that was supposed to be a replacement for that channel. But she's the owner of it, so she has total control over it, which I'm sure you can already see maybe where this is going. Um and because one of the people who was in charge of that channel, I don't know, I, I guess they're just a simp. I don't know why, but they, they, they gave her a list of all the, of all the people who used to be members of that channel, which is like a list of a thousand people. So she personally invited everybody on Telegram who used to be part of that channel to come back to her channel that was rebranded as the new replacement channel. I was one of those people, which is how I got involved in this. Um, so what happened is, Eva, Eva started some drama and of course Billy Roper is a, is an admin on, on her, on, on her channel. Uh, he's, he's, he's an admin and they've got a couple of different people who are moderators. And something, something essentially happened where some people were posting some content that Eva didn't like because she's a feminist. Uh, people listen to stuff that she didn't like. Uh, some of us protested, uh, the, the dislike, an argument started, we got kicked out. Uh, I got banned over something unrelated, but some other people have been kicked off as well. And essentially what happened is while Eva was freaking out about people, you know, not being feminists, she, she mentioned Grift Patrol in a rant and said that, you know, oh, we, we don't support Grift, Grift Patrol either. They're a bunch of feds and cops, etc. Which is really interesting because I'm a member of Grift Patrol, and while I can't imagine Eva would like any of us individually, we have only ever gone after people who are really bad, like commies, like commie and uh, gypsies. So I don't know. At the time, I didn't know why she would care about that, right? Why would she be mad at Grift, Grift Patrol of all places? We don't, we don't do anything. Well, I have an answer to that question, and it's because she's obsessed with Billy Roper. She's been hanging out with him, and she she thinks you know the sunlight shines out of his ass. Apparently, Billy helped Gypsy Crusader get set up. Set up. I don't know why. Uh, anyone who looks at Gypsy knows immediately he's not white. He he looks like some kind of goat herder from the middle of Afghanistan. He he looks like a Sicilian. He's not. He's an Arab. 
you can tell just by looking at him, he's definitely a gypsy. And apparently this is why Eva and Billy don't like Griff Patrol is because they've been helping Gypsy and possibly other people too get, get set up and they've been helping to promote them and, and showing them how to, how to run their channels and things. And this is how that whole thing blew up. And that's why we're talking about Billy Roper again now of, of all people is because apparently he has fallen really, really far down that rabbit hole. And Eva's a crazy feminist, but I mean, that's, that's just, that's what happens when women get to be 40 years old and, and they just, they're feminists. They just become unhinged. That's not, that's not unusual. Bill, Billy Roper is one of the most notorious, conniving bitches I know who are supposedly on the right. He's always getting involved in, in, in marginal, characters and and trying to use them for his own advantage and and while he slanders everybody else of course ropers i don't know a lot of times i often dismiss him as just a clown but but he's always manipulating and conniving in order to better himself or or get an advantage for himself it doesn't um it it doesn't surprise me that he's basically promoting mamsers. It doesn't surprise and whores. It doesn't surprise me at all. It I suppose it surprised me because Gypsy's such an obvious mamser. I could almost understand it for someone like Nick Fuentes, because you could you could go in denial about someone like Nick, right? You could say, Oh well he's white, he's probably Spanish. Of course we know better. Right. We know we know where white people in Mexico came from. They fled the Inquisition. Almost all of them were Sephardic Jews. But the I could I could almost understand that Gypsy doesn't even look white. Okay, he has a donkey face. The only reason he can even pass for white in some of his videos is because he's literally wearing clown makeup. So (laughs) I don't. I don't know. I guess, I guess I'm still too optimistic. I just, I, I knew Billy Roper was, I, I knew, I knew he could be, I knew he could be petty, but I feel as though that's a step beyond that, right? I didn't, I didn't imagine he would take it that far, but apparently he has. Anyway, there's a lot of people who are mad at both of them. That's the end of the story is there's people now who are mad at Billy Roper and there's people who are mad at Eva and they're, they're sitting together in their channel plotting against all of us, I guess, because they're still mad about everything. That's that's the moral of this story is they're still mad. Billy is still mad he can't beat you in a debate. Eva is still mad that she got run off the forums. Meanwhile, you guys don't even remember which feminist she was, which is funny in its own way. Well, well because we've had so many feminists. Uh, I mean, maybe if Joe was here. I wish Joe was here in Australia. Maybe it's still too early in the morning there, but but he would probably remember Eva better than I. But we've had a whole string of of, of such individuals, so the, it's all a blur to me. I don't know if there are any other um, Christiania Forum denizens here. There's about I'm, I don't know. There's at least twenty people here now. Maybe somebody else might remember who Eva might be. A few years back, I had uh, met Billy Roper up uh, around New Boston, Texas, up in the Arklatex region. There was some kind of white nationalist conference thing going on up there. There's various factions of good old boys. There was 
Texas representation of League of the South. But Billy was there with his crew, and he was kind of like instrumental in running the show, so to speak. I thought he was kind of a smarmy-ass bastard myself, and it seemed to me, and I'm not trying to denigrate any of our fellas, but it seemed to me he was kind of running a show with his shield wall network that was maybe aged skinheads. I don't know exactly how to put it, but he, he definitely seemed to be a shifty, unsavory character to me. Yeah, I agree with that assessment. I met Roper in Harrison, Arkansas, probably, I'm guessing, in 2015, 2016. I'm looking at my wife. But she don't know why she don't she don't remember either. We've done a lot of traveling. So so twenty fifteen or twenty sixteen and did a podcast with him some months later. So it, if I looked at the podcast date, <clears throat> I could probably guess when I met him. But but anyway, that that's not important. What's important is that Roper I I mean I did the podcast with him for, for my own particular reasons. I don't necessarily do a podcast with somebody to promote that person. I do a podcast with somebody sometimes so that their people that would listen to that could get to hear me, if you know what I mean. I mean, I have my own um, sort of cunning sometimes, I guess. So, So I did the podcast with Roper, but he was totally disingenuous. And I think that his his actions after I did the podcast with him, um, he hooked up with Paul Mullet. He he called himself a pastor. He started calling himself a pastor, trying to attract CI people. And when that didn't work for him, he just quit it and went on to something else. Roper is an opportunist. That's all he is. He's an opportunist who's out to promote Billy Roper. That's all he cares about. And he doesn't care about who he pushes down, who he steps on, who he slanders. He, he's going to always try to work that to his own advantage. And that's what he does. And and I've caught Roper dozens and dozens of times posting under sock puppets promoting Billy Roper when it's really Billy Roper himself, because his writing style is very um, unique, let's put it that way, and it's easy to spot. So Roper... Roger that. In a lot of ways, he's a clown, but he's a very cunning clown. The most dangerous type of clown. Well, well, I guess, because he's a rabbit hole. He's just looking to pull people away from the truth and into rallying behind Billy Roper, joining his shield wall network, which I've never been impressed with. Well, if you make it makes you feel any better, his shield wall network is about 12 people these days. So, Well, good for him. <laughs> <laughs> the, the shield wall network got us got us kicked out of Newport, Tennessee. Uh, I mean, we did what we went to do to lead us out, but some shield wall network guys were there, and rather than just hanging out and demonstrating, they started um, parading and jackbooting down the avenue 
and the police chief came and asked us to leave because they're clowns. That's what they do. Like, um, well, I think I thought, I mean, culture critic here said that they were a bunch of old skinheads. Maybe that's true in Texas, but in Tennessee, they were just a bunch of misdirected young men. In my opinion. Well, that certainly seems to be who these people are trying to collect. Just not just Billy Roper, but Eva, Connie, Gypsy, all of these people are trying to gather up the, the, the great masses of, of confused and upset young white men. And that's, that's part of the reason why we're doing, we're doing things like Griff Patrol, trying to, you know, make sure people know who these people are so they can't hide their skeletons in their closets. So Gypsy can't keep pretending that he's white. That sort of thing is we're, we're putting the message out to try and keep people away from these people because that is absolutely what they're, who they're trying to target is they don't really care that much about the old skinhead demographic. They, they care about the, the young white man, the angry young white man demographic because that's the one that they seem to anticipate as having real political and economic power, something they could actually make money off of or that could, they could, piggyback off of to get power for themselves. That's really what this all seems to be about. Dasho, maybe you want to, uh, I mean, for the benefit of Christiania listeners, explain what a grifter is and grift patrol. I'm sorry, maybe I put you on the spot, but uh, my listeners wouldn't know. I, I mean, I'm sure a lot of them wouldn't know what those things are. Okay. Grifter is a noun. Uh, it's, it's an informal word. Uh, it belongs to North America. We invented it. It's not a British word. And a grifter is a person who engages in petty or small scale swindling. I saw him as a grifter who preys upon people is the example given in the Oxford languages dictionary. So when we talk about a grifter, we're talking about somebody who joins, let's just to give an example, someone who joins uh, a nationalist movement or a political movement, right? Not even a nationalist movement. Let's say someone who, who makes a bunch of t-shirts that have sickles and hammers on them and then sells them to stupid college kids to make money, right? Is that person a communist? No. They're, they're making money off of these people because they see a way, they see a way they can give an advantage to themselves, right? They're, they're, they're promoting a swindle or they're, they're running, they're running a business and trying to sell a product, usually themselves or something that they make, right? Right. That's a capitalist. Gypsy's a grifter. Go ahead. I, I said, right. That's a capitalist. Even if they're selling t-shirts with hammers and sickles, they're capitalists. They're not communists. <laughs> Yes, fundamentally. Um, but, uh, but Gypsy's a grifter. He has, he has a, a constant, a, a sort of persona that he attempts to sell. Uh, he does actually have merchandise. He always, he always is trying to get people to buy his t-shirts and buy his patches that he sells, uh, on his, on his little show that he does. Um, there, there are, there are other, there are other grifters who you'd probably be more familiar with, like Joe Rogan. Uh, and, and other people who sort of run like personality, sort sort of shows of personality, forces of personality, like Billy Roper, like Billy Roper. Yes, I would consider Billy Roper a grifter as well. Although he's a more subtle one because he's not directly selling anything. Uh, he's he's after something a bit more intangible than money, in my opinion. But uh, that's just my opinion. 
So, so when, when we're talking about a grifter, that's what we're talking about is swindlers, essentially. It's, it's a synonym for swindler. And what grift patrol is, is it's a group of people. I'm a part of it. There's, there's about a, a dozen other people who are part of it too. We're pretty small, but we, we coordinate on different channels on Telegram and we try and spread information about these people who are essentially marketing themselves and potentially putting our people in danger. Cause I mean, here, here's the deal. Gypsy Crusader was arrested a couple days ago. He was arrested because he's a convicted felon and, uh, he was arrested by the Fort Lauderdale police department, uh, because as a convicted felon, as I'm sure you know, Bill, he can't own a firearm. Well, guess what? He did, which is why he got busted. And when the police confiscate his computer, the Fort Lauderdale Police Department's going to have all of the addresses of everybody he ever sold any T-shirt or patch to. So I'm sorry to everybody who bought stuff from him, but uh, not to put too fine a point on it, we told you so. You should not have bought things from him. <laughs> um, every every Everybody's information that he, he has is going to be in the handy. Probably. It's probably already in their hands. In, avoid grifters, right? So that's what, that's what we're doing. And I, I, I'm, I suppose when I think about it rationally, I'm less surprised that Billy fell in with people like that. But I, I guess I'm still a little bit open mamsters like that. Maybe I should stop trying to give him any kind of benefit of the doubt. Well, well, right. I'm not surprised because Billy Roper wears out his welcome or, or purposely abandons everybody he associates with. So you, you're just going to run out of people that accept you sooner or later and, and end up with a bunch of mansers and, and peripheral freaks. Old Tom Robb up in Harrison been part of the movement for a long, long time. <laughs> A whole lot of respect for him myself for a variety of reasons. But uh, Mr. Fink was speaking about the time that Billy Roper was up there in Harrison. Uh, that may have been involving Tom Robb's boys and whatnot. But uh, that time that up in Texas a few years back around New Boston, Arklatex, Sure enough, there were uh, a couple of Tom Robbs boys up there. And it's just like, is he riding, trying, like you're saying, Dasho, is he trying to like ride some coattails? You know, it's just, it's just too much. Well, well, Billy has tried to associate himself or he has been associated with Tom Robb for, for several years now, at least five, six, maybe longer. As far as I know, I, I never met Tom Robb. I never dealt with Tom Robb. I never met him until the 2019 League of the South National Conference in um, in Alabama, and we had we exchanged some words, and that was about it. I mean, I'm not impressed with Tom Robb. I understand he's been in a fight a long time and all of that. I'm not impressed with him, but I don't think that he cared much for me. That was my impression. I'm not impressed with Tom Robb because of his daughter. Roger that. Just... He allows his daughter to do. He, he's a feminist. I, you know, moreover, Tom is, yeah, he's been in the movement. So whatever you want to call it for a long time, but 
there's been some fishy things going on. And it, his track record when it comes to up ain't so hot, but it's all very interesting that, that he's, it seems that he's come on to CI and purporting his I, I don't know, Christian Center or whatever, whatever he's up there in Harrison or Zank, but it's kind of like, dude, this boat was, has been sailed for a long time as far as the clan's concerned, and now you're jumping on it? Yeah, I don't, I don't, I've never been impressed with Tom Robb. I, I'm, I don't want to disparage the guy. He's not a scholar, and and he he might be Christian identity, but he's still half Baptist to me. Roger that. Um, Bill, what do you think? People like that to like the new wine and the old sack and whatever and stuff like that. Well, well, that's the progression of Christian identity. I mean, we started with. How how far do you want to go back? Herbert W. Armstrong? And and from Herbert W. Armstrong to Howard Rand? Or maybe it was the other way around. Howard Rand to Herbert W. Armstrong. And and then you had Arnold Murray. And then you had um, Bill Gale, Wesley Swift, Bertrand Compare. And, and were they all the way there? Now, Compare, we would agree with more than Herbert W. Armstrong. And and a little more than him with with Howard Rand, right? It it we see a progression of learning in Christian identity. But the men that who are alive who learned from them and still won't come any further because they're that they're establishing their beliefs and and their pride won't allow them to learn anything new, those men I don't have any respect for. I just don't. Yet you have a lot of old school CI people who hate me or, or who disdain me, and I don't care. I have no respect for them. Fuck them. I, I think that I know better than Compare. But at the same time, I had Compare to, to learn from where I wouldn't be where I was if it weren't for Compare. So we could respect our past teachers. We should respect our teachers, but at the same time, we could acknowledge that we could learn something new, that we don't know everything. And and a lot of these old-time CI folk, that they learned from Compare or from Swift or from Gale or from Sheldon Emery, but they think that they're where it's at and that everything they know is right, and, and they're full of themselves, period. They're full of themselves, that they're failing because they refuse to learn more and understand that there is something better, that God did not create niggers, for instance, for example, that there was no sixth and eighth day creation. I think it's important to look at the elders or, or whatever you may want to call them from the CI standpoint, but it's definitely uh, I hate to use the word, but retarded to be stagnated and focused on this guy or that, right? Uh, CI is kind of an evolving theology in a sense that what I mean by that is 
if you look at the old school boys like Mr. Frank was talking about, and if you take that stuff as gospel, so to speak, hook, line, sinker, well, you're missing so much of the picture, and you're only focused on a narrow bandwidth. You're not getting the full grasp, if if you know what I mean. Well, well, right. I would never profess to be the end of all knowledge. And, and but we should understand that we can all learn more and learn better than our teachers, while at the same time, we have our teachers to credit us with having gotten us this far. In, in other words, if it weren't for um, Comparé and Swift and, and Sheldon Emery, I would have never learned about CI, right? I'd have never heard about CI. So I would have never learned anything about the Bible. Because without CI, I didn't care about the Bible. If you think the Bible is a book for Jews and and, and niggers and Judeo-Christians, then who would want to care about it? So I only looked into the Bible because of Compare and Swift and, and, and Haberman and people like that. So So... I owe them a debt of gratitude, of course. But that doesn't mean that they know everything or that there's no further revelation and they made mistakes. So we continue to grow. We have to grow. This is an ongoing revelation, as you said. This is a, a um, wow, a perspective and a study of, of history that, that's different than anything men knew before. Before British Israel. And and all of these people in the past were not nuts. British Israel, they weren't nuts or, or they weren't stupid. They were brilliant men who understood and made the connections from history to Bible from archaeology. So we owe them a debt of gratitude. But that doesn't mean that they were right about everything. And, and that doesn't mean that we're right about everything. I'm not, I would never claim to be right about everything, but I try to be. And, and I realized that I could make a mistake and correct it later. And I've done that often in my ministry. Valid points. I think, you know, it's very important. The, uh, vanguard or the early, early guys of CI and everything, like you say, building and learning upon their knowledge, but, to put it in my own homespun way, it's, it's kind of like climbing up a ladder. You know, you've got so many rungs and you get, you further progress over the years. Absolutely. Yeah. If, if, if we try to, if I ever said that everything I teach is the end of all knowledge, that I'm just a pompous fucking asshole. None of us have everything. None of us know all the truth. It is a ladder, and we got to keep climbing. But those guys, right. the, the, those old-time CI people that, that despise me for that, they despise me for that. How dare you correct Compare? Who do you think, how do you think you're better than Wesley Swift? They despise me for that, so my, my only message to them is, fuck them. I'm, I'm not going to have any respect for them if they think that, Swift was the end or Compare was the end of all knowledge. That's not true. But I wouldn't claim it for myself either. Uh, here's a tongue-in-cheek thing for you, Bill. 
why would you want to stop at Alex Jones and he's the end? Why not go on to Adolf Hitler? Yeah, right. Because the Arabs control Hollywood. That's why. Well, that goes back to the new wine and old wineskins. If you're going to do that, you're going to stagnate yourself. You're going to limit yourself because uh, it doesn't work. And that's part of the whole uh, rungs on the ladder, too. I think it's in John where it says uh, a lot of these things were not given uh, or, excuse me, were given on a need-to-know basis from Yahweh. Um, you look at how much understanding has came out just in the last couple centuries thanks to archaeology and how much corroborated the Bible um, but also, I mean, the, the man, it, it, it somewhat depends on the man, but it also comes down to what the man is saying. And a Christian should want to be corrected if he's in the wrong. Um, going back again to the new wine and old wineskins, but, <clears throat> um, it, it is constantly growing because the under, understanding keeps growing. Well, well, that's it. We have to grow. But when, when I'm a short conversation with, Thomas Robb, two years ago, I got the idea that he really wasn't comfortable with me because I would make him uncomfortable in everything he teaches and believes. A man like that, in, in his pride, wouldn't want to be uncomfortable with what he believes because it challenges his perception of his authority. Men like to think that men that call themselves pastor and use titles and lead communities like to think that they have authority. And, and that's a false, that, that's what, that, that's the line of thinking that gets us into these messes like we have with the churches today. That, that's what we have to avoid. There's only one authority and that's Christ and all ye your brethren. Right. Well, that's what I meant. The new wine into their old wine skins. They won't let that go because it won't work. Well, well, it won't work for them because it challenges their authority and, and that challenges their source of income and, and other things. So that's that when men tie themselves to that, they're fucked. Right. Well, that's what I mean. So that's that. That's why. You know, I understood when when I got out of prison that I would never convert Ted Wheeland and James Brueggemann and Stephen Jones and all those other clowns to my way of thinking that no amount of persuasion and, and erudition was ever going to convince them that they were wrong and they should change. So I sought out to replace them. And that's still my objective. Just push them aside. It's going pretty good so far. I pray. I do pray. Because they need to be replaced. If a man stops learning and thinks he knows everything, he needs to be replaced. Like Bill was saying about some of them clowns, it's, it's like they've got a horse blinders on, kind of. You know, they're focused on their little road, and that's all they see. Well, that's true. I, I, I really do try to always keep the big picture in mind because I know that Christy Genninger is only a small portion of what's Christian identity. 
But maybe like guys like Zeph don't understand it or Dasho, but I know that there are hundreds of thousands of identity Christians in, in the Midwest and in the far West, especially in the, um, Pacific Northwest that, that have never heard of me. And, and they still cling to all the old ideas that Herbert W. Armstrong, um, Arnold Murray and, and, Sheldon Emery and, and Pete Peters and those guys cling to. As long as you think that God created niggers, you're going to think niggers might be good. Well, it just seems all too often they're chasing uh, fame or control or money, dollar signs. They're not really seeking the truth. That's where, that's where they stop. I would say the ones that I'm aware of, Brueggemann and Jones and Weiland and all them, they've actually... They have not stayed the same. They've actually slid backwards quite a bit. Can, can you explain that, Don? Yeah, you know, Don, I keep telling you that you have some not knowledge about our cause that's valuable, but you, you just dismiss it. But you did observe those guys 20 years ago. Well, they're at a basically everybody is saved. Now they're at a point. I keep They keep sending me their stuff all the time. That's the only reason I know this stuff, but it's that the Bible's written in code. The last one I got from Brueggemann was that uh, John the Revelator wrote that all in code so they could stand right in front of the Romans, and the Romans couldn't figure out what they were talking about because they were speaking in code. And they believe everybody, everything has changed. They spiritualize everything. They're so opposite of what you are, it's hard to explain it even. It just They're more so now than they ever were. They ain't even staying the same. They're sliding way backwards, and it just, it's just okay. bizarre to me. It's just worthless. Uh, okay, Don, I appreciate that. But what, what, what? Think back when you first got into Christian identity. How many years ago was that? Twenty, thirty? It's been a while. Uh, let's see, forty. Forty. About. Wow. I started in the Patriot Movement. That's where I heard about the Jews, and that's where I heard about Christian identity. And um, okay. Kind of by 85, I was pretty well into it. So back 40 years ago, what was Brueggemann and, and Whelan? Because those guys were around back then. I know they were. Pete Peters. Yeah, they were around since I've been around. Pete, another one that I was around, but he's dead now. Yeah, I mean, they were strong, what I call single seed line. They were no two seed liner thing, but they were definitely, how would you put it? They knew who the Jews were. They, they had a pretty strong line on that, and that's just faded away totally. I don't know how else to say it. No Satan doctrine. They didn't used to be like that. Pete Peters never went to no Satan doctrine. But uh, I know Ted Whelan sure did, and I learned that Sheldon Emery was. I never heard it from him. And Pete Sheldon, Peters and Ted Weiland argued about that. <laughs> interesting. Sheldon Emery turned to No Satan Doctrine later in his ministry. That's what Michael said, yeah. Yes. I had never known when he was dual seed line. I didn't really get to know too much about him until he was right about the time he died. Okay. Pete learned from Sheldon Emery. That's how he got started with it. He heard him on a, his radio broadcast. Well, that's how Mark it's Downey, Mark Downey started with Sheldon Emery. And, and yep. Mark Downey professed Sheldon Emery 100% with the No Satan Doctrine. 
And and when he met me, he kind of laid off it for a while, but he reverted. He he pretended to understand what I taught, but then he reverted back to Sheldon Emery at the end. Yeah. <laughs> Nigel Brueggemann, he used to be pretty strong in that other than that he wasn't a dual seed line. He used to think that, you know, Germany and all that was part of it. And then I don't know who got a hold of him, but it changed and he started to kind of got British Israel and he started talking about the crown and the one I heard him say flipped me out. It was just the queen is gathering up all the assets so she can give them to Jesus Christ when he comes back. And I thought, you got to be nuts. What are you smoking? I mean, it just, you can't hardly believe what you hear. Don, this back. Don, this backsliding that you've witnessed, uh, would you attest it to, like, worldly um, instigations and pressure? Or is this another example of uh, this uh, new wine in the old wineskins, like some stuff you have? Well, I know St- Stephen Jones was a leader of it. He's a pretty good talker. He's very persuasive. Not, I don't know, just... He, you, I can see he can confuse you pretty good. He did me. I got to confess that. But I know when he was out, he was studying under Sheldon Emery. And when Sheldon was dying, Stephen wanted to take over his ministry. I think is what it was all about. And when he talked to Sheldon Emery about it, Sheldon Emery told him over my dead body. And shortly after that, he died. But Stephen was out of the picture then. That's why that other guy got it. But. Well, so well, I don't know what all other, went on. I never heard what it was, but it was something bad enough where Sheldon wanted nothing to do with him. I, I really thought the other guy got it because he married Sheldon's daughter. No, the, the, all the, I don't think Barley got, yeah, that's why he got America's Promise, but there's kind of all the stuff that Sheldon had. I think his name, I wish uh, Michael was here. He'd know, he remembers the guy's name, Williamson or Williams or something like that. He kind of handled all the books and all that kind of stuff. Okay. I don't know that. But yeah. Bar- yeah. Martha is uh, Sheldon's daughter. So I mean, I, I don't know. They were all intertwined. They used to have big Bible conferences. I never had the money to go to them. But, uh, and then Pete and Ted had a falling out. There was, got pretty over the sacred name thing and no Satan doctrine because Pete was definitely didn't believe that. And, there's just a lot of problems until a point it finally just blew up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, well, you know what? Dave Marley still has big Bible conferences, but they don't invite me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think any. I don't think you'd be very welcome at Stephen. I mean, <laughs> they have a lot of them down there. They used to go to Branson, Missouri. They still do once a year. Everett Ramsey, Dave Barley, Don Elmore, um, a whole bunch of them get together. Larry Blanchard get together every year. They never invite me. That's okay. Uh, Dan Gaiman was in that too. I would never invite them to anything either. How about that? (laughs) Yeah. Well, I know Stephen Jones is one. They get Rob Corey and I... I may, memory's kind of, I don't remember them all, but they have a pretty big conference usually. And it's Brueggemann speaks, Ron just speaks, Stephen speaks, and uh, Rob Corey, and there's a couple of other ones that I, don't come to me right now. 
but they travel and they stay in nice places. They don't live like they got a lot of money because I know Brueggemann and I know Jones and I know Oja. And the way they live, they don't live like they're loaded. Well, Michael was talking about how they sit around and talk about investments, so I don't know about that. <laughs> well, I got to know them pretty good, and it don't seem to me like they've got much. I mean, they're not dying or nothing, but they ain't loaded either. Well, we can't all be Joel Osteen, that's for sure. <laughs> no. <laughs> if, if anybody in Cushion Denny is trying to be Joel Osteen, well, oh, they're man. really screwing up. I Who guess. would want to? Nah. That guy makes me sick. I seen him one time. I wanted to punch him. <laughs> well, well, I mean, there should be no money like that in truth. There should be. No. I mean, when Michael talked about that one time when he went out to their one of their conferences and uh, Weissman was on the, what do you call it, kind of like a video. And all of them, Stephen and Darla were there and James and Ron and a bunch of different ones. And that's what they were talking about, he said. Yeah. Investments. That's what Charles Weissman was talking about on the video. I said, what? <laughs> yeah, Do you well, think a lot of these guys... Go ahead. I mean, I could say Weissman's a Jew. That's easy to say. But if you're talking about investments on Christian identity videos, then you very well might be. Yeah, I kind of, I suspect so. He definitely, I I know him. I actually Bible studied with Weissman many years ago before. This is when it was just getting started. He had an apartment down in Savage, Minnesota, which is a south suburb of Minneapolis. And he didn't have a lot of money either. I live better than he did. So I don't know. It just... uh what they do or if they're just set out that much to be deceivers or what, I don't know. I don't understand. It makes no sense to me. Well, that's what I was going to ask. Do you think a lot of these guys just get into it for the wrong reasons in the first place and then when they're reproached enough and they see it's not it's not going to work out, they just settle on like the <clears throat> next most popular thing just to keep trying to make money or keep a fan base? Yeah, it could be, it could be that they kind of like the power that people come and hear them speak. That's what I kind of think it is, but I don't know if that's what it is or not. Because they they never appeared to have money. If they were, they had to be living a secret life or something. Is it? Yeah, you know, it doesn't really give me a sense of power to oh, people listen to my podcasts. It, it instead it makes me feel humble. It it's kind of hard to explain. Yeah, but I'd hope it's obvious that that's not the that's not the deciding factor. That's not why you're in it in the first place. Yeah, some of it now I kind of get where once in a while I'll have it come over over me where I feel like they kind of pulled the wool over my eyes and I was naive and stupid enough that I didn't catch on to it for a long time. I didn't really catch on until after I retired and had, instead of working all the time, I started studying and I kept finding stuff all the time. That isn't what the Bible says. Where do you get all this stuff? <laughs> You're just making it up. That's why I wanted to you listening to you and you talked about the Gnostics and all these, and I'm sitting there, boy, has that had an effect on this? These guys are storytellers. Well, yeah, they are. <laughs> They're all storytellers. <laughs> it, it's, when they that's talk, sad. No, go ahead. 
And everything I say, I, I, I try to provide a citation for. If I don't, then what the hell am I doing? The only guy I ever heard of from the historical point of view was Flavius Josephus, when they, and they talked about Jerusalem, but not a one of them ever said the Edom Sadducees were Edomites, and about half the Pharisees probably were Edomites and mixed in with the Judeans. That's why they were all confused, head violent, all of Israel. Well, he made quite a conniption out of that, you know, trying to figure out, well, it must be Israelites that aren't Israel then because they don't follow or something. He didn't understand that, that the makeup of Judea at that time. And I'm sitting there, I've listened to these guys all this time, and I never looked into it. I can't fault that. That's my own stupidity. But, uh, boy, they sure weren't teaching it either. But did they ever read Josephus right. from cover to cover? Did they read it from cover to cover? That's what's important. No, they just quote little. They just quote little things out of it. And Stephen kept using that. That's what makes me wonder a little bit now. And looking back upon it, he called them the ones that stayed in Jerusalem were the patriots, and they stayed there because they were fighting for what they believed was right, and they fought against the Romans and got beat because they didn't leave like they should have. He wasn't making any racial distinction of any kind. Yeah, yeah, they were patriots for Satan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but there was, was their patriarch. The whole thing with the Herod and all that, they I found some of that out on my own later on, but I guess it didn't jive quick enough. That's why I feel like kind of an idiot. I spent a lot of my life working and trusting other people. I went through a lot of stuff and I read a lot, but it didn't ring because my mind was somewhere else. And it just... Uh, well, well, but he brought well, me in. No, I'm glad of it. I'm very thankful that I found your stuff, even though it was through Eli James or whatever. Oh, no. I learned. <laughs> well, well that I, when I, I listened to the two seed line, that's the first thing that you did with him, I think, that I heard. And even then, I didn't care for that guy for nothing. He's always interrupting. <laughs> Kept talking to the, to the machine, to the, DVD thing, just shut up and let them talk. That's what I used to say. <laughs> you just keep getting in the way all the time. Yeah, Eli was a pain in the ass. He really was. But no, I'm, on a serious note, I, I learned early in my studies that it was important. It was a long walk, but I, at least I feel like I'm on the right place now. <laughs> I'm sorry, I muted myself by accident. It, Eli was a pain in the ass to work with, but I, I learned early in my studies that it was important to read everything cover to cover. That if you were reading um, some identity book that quoted Josephus, for instance, and, and you really wanted to know what Josephus said, when they're just taking small sections of the text, that you better go read the whole thing to see what Josephus really said. Well, like those patriots in Jerusalem, right? Yep. <laughs> it's that there's a lot of people that are index book in index researchers that only read the indexes and and hmm. go to what they want in the indexes and pull what they think suits their purpose out of the book. But they they take things out of context or they don't provide the entire background to the context and, and they could be deceiving. 
so it's important to read the whole book. It really is. I know James Brueggemann likes Howard Rand. I got several, two or three books of Howard Rand's here because he recommended them. Well, well, Clifton, I have all the Howard Rand's yearbooks on my shows at home because Clifton had them. Hmm. And and left them to me, right? I, I got like 20 years worth of Howard Rand yearbooks, maybe more. That the hmm. um, Howard Rand was only halfway there. Yep. And once he got to the World War II time, he was so far off, it wasn't funny. <laughs> right. So Howard Rand was halfway there, and he may have been good for his time, and and he's one of those stones in the foundation that, that we can rest upon because Howard Rand taught us all a few things, if we've read his writings, but he was only halfway there. So if we don't realize that all of us can still learn, and, and when I talk to some of these old-time CI people, it's like they think I'm some kind of troublemaker or upstart. That, that I, I'm, um, changing Compare. How dare I change Compare? That's how, that's their attitude. So. They must me, not look either then. Right. To me, it's, I, I don't want to even want to bother with those people. I just want to move on and replace them. Marginalize them is the proper term. I would say that's a proper approach from what I've witnessed through all these years of just, because if anything, they're going the other way. <laughs> well, right. So I want to marginalize Stephen Jones, Brueggemann, yep. Wieland. It, if um, if I have my way in, in five, ten years, they won't even be remembered as being CI. I don't call myself a Baptist anymore because I'm not. But I do still call myself a Protestant because I think fundamentally we are all Protestants. Because the the essence of a Protestant to me is you have to show your work, and if you can't, you're wrong. And if you think you're still right, then go do more research and then come back tomorrow and have the same conversation again. I, I consider myself a Protestant, and I consider CI to be fundamentally Protestant because we're the only ones who say, show your work. If, if you, if you get into a, into a rut or if you, if you just follow the, the, what one person says and you never critically examine it and you never, you never do your own studies and research, that's, that's what Catholicism became. That's what the, the orthodoxy is, right? We aren't that. We're in opposition to that. So, so we may not be Baptists or, you know, High, high Protestants or anything, uh, anything of that sort, New Englander Protestants anymore. We may have walked away from all that, but we're still Protestants because we do the research. Protestantism is fundamentally a scientific endeavor towards theology. You have to prove your work. Sure. Yeah, I understand. I'm always wary of labels and especially what they've been turned into. But in essence, I, I understand what you're saying. It's, that's true enough. Dasho, that's a good assessment. I agree with that. Uh, I mean, it, it's all a matter of perspective, right? From our perspective, we want or or we want to lay claim to the fact that we are apostolic Christians. But from a historical perspective, yeah, we're Protestants. But I, I want to picture us as the ultimate Protestants. 
that we protest against the whole world and go back to the word of God. And and doing that, we have to show our work. I agree. That was good. Roger that. that. That's the real meaning of the term radical is to go to the root of the issue. So we would consider ourselves radical Christians going to the root of Christianity and relying on that. I did not know that. I thought it was uh, something different. At least in grammar, when, when, when you understand the radical definition of a term, it's the most basic root definition of a word is the radical definition. Radical. And this is right from Google. Especially of change or action, relating to or affecting the fundamental nature of something, advocating or based on thorough or complete political or social change. That's a secondary definition. Three, linguistics. Denoting or relating to the roots of a word. Music, belonging to the root of a chord. Mathematics, of the root of a number or quantity. So in, in, in that aspect, we are radical. We are radical Christians. We want to return to the root understanding of Christianity as opposed to the traditional church dogmas that have developed over the years that are not found in scripture. Church. Uh, I was going to make a joke here. Uh, we're all, I guess we're also the radicals on the Trinity debate because uh, we don't want to, we don't really care to talk about what about Christ saying this? What about that? No, I can answer all of those. Well, what in, a, in a modern sense, isn't there a saying in a corrupt world, the truth and the fundamentals will be deemed or viewed or perceived as radical? Well, I mean, Christ told his followers, and his followers we would perceive to actually have the true meaning of his words, that they would be despised and rejected. So I guess they would be seen as radical. I don't know how people that can, that can claim to be Christian identity can imagine that the Catholic Church doctrines are correct in certain areas, where they are wrong in so many other areas, but these certain area doctrines can't be questioned. If you want to follow Trinity, you may as well love Negroes. You may as well go baptize niggers because we all worship the same God. Isn't that the bogus universalism theology that you're talking about there? Well, yeah. Yeah, culture critic. We we began this program. It started off talking about certain CI people that, or or they claim to be CI, and and they believe in Trinity doctrine and other heresies of the Roman Catholic Church. So they may as well accept them all and run off and be Catholics. What else do we have tonight? Maybe somebody Hey, Bill, is... can you hear me? Joe, what's happening? I've been waiting for you. Not much. Finally, finally. 
I wish you were here an hour ago. <laughs> so do I, but I wasn't, so... But can I introduce myself with a Bible verse? Sure. Okay, in the KJV, um, Isaiah 27.4 says, Who would set briars and thorns against me in battle? I would go through them and I would burn them together, says Yahweh God to our fathers. And so we love verses like this that demonstrate exterminationism, which I think this verse is doing, because who would set briars and thorns against Yahweh God? And we know that's exactly what Zog is doing in our day, all these non-white bastards being set against our God in battle, and God's reply is <laughs> that he would go through them and burn them completely. Well, well, Joe, I agree, but only identity Christians can understand that. And I guess only identity Christians of the Christiania variety. I'm sorry. Nice. <laughs> that That's just the way it is. Well, it's, there's another topic we can discuss, and that's... Um, I wanted to make a point about defilement, eating pork and things like that, the defilement. And a point, you know, there's a lot of technical arguments that can be made about which laws are done away with and why. But um, a point I would like people to remember is um, we pray to Christ to give us our daily bread. And so is Christ going to give us wine to eat as our daily bread? I, I don't think he would. And, and another thing that I think is if you're in the desert and you're starving and a camel, a camel walks past and you think, oh, wow, I'm saved. God has sent a camel to save me. You know, I don't think we should think that because God isn't going to use a camel to sustain us and he's not going to save us with defiled meats or unclean meat, is he? So that's a point that, um, I think we should all think about when we pray to God, you know, our daily bread, we should keep that in mind. You know, what's God going to send us? Well, the the camel might give you a ride out of the desert, but he's not going to be your meal. And in other words, if you're hungry and and a, and and you cut out there, Bill. I'm sorry. If, if you're hungry and a I guess I'm having a problem. Am I here? <laughs> oh, okay. If you're hungry, Joe, and a frog hops along, should you eat the frog? No, you shouldn't. If a camel comes along, you should take that as a ride, but maybe not as a meal. And and sometimes oh, well, yeah. in your desperation, you're tested, but that doesn't mean you should eat the frog. And that's a good point, because everything has a purpose within the creation of Yahweh. Yahweh has decided its purpose, and taking a camel for a ride, yeah, that might be the purpose of a camel, but he never ordained it or sanctified it as food. Well, well right. I, I joked, I made a joke maybe a week or two ago, 
You, you know, the only fish I ever caught in the canal behind my house was a catfish. So what if I was hungry and I had no food? No gas, the grid shut down. I can't get to the supermarket. So I throw my line in the water and I say, Yahweh, whatever I pull up, I'm going to eat. And I pull up a catfish and I'm like, damn. So did I challenge God and he's testing me or do I just say, okay, Yahweh, I'll eat the catfish. You send it to me. I'm going to blame it on you. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. We we can't imagine or, or ever think of the way that our God is going to give us opportunity to feel that it's okay to break the law. We can't do that. That that's hubris. That that is arrogance on our part. Well, I think it's the same category as unclean is if like you're praying for a wife and some Chinese maid moves in next door or something like that and you're like, Oh wow, thanks God. You know, I'm gonna, you know, marry this Chinese girl. I mean, she's unclean. God isn't gonna send you a Chinese wife. It's the same thing. That you know, all are the unclean. The unclean designation still stands today. Christ didn't come to change the law. He didn't come, he didn't die on a cross to sanctify the unclean. So when we pray, we should, you know, we should um, still respect his laws and um, keep his laws and keep them in mind when we look at what we receive from God too and not assume that, you know, the Chinese that moves in next door is some sort of gift from God. Right, I have to agree with that. I have to agree with that, that that we have to keep the law. The law is paramount to our faith. The, The word of God is paramount to our faith. The law is the ideal. Even when we fail, we should recognize that we sinned and the law is good. So for a friend's house and he's having a barbecue and we have baby back ribs and we've had a few beers and we just eat some baby back ribs because what the fuck? They're harmless. They're not going to hurt us. You know, we're not going to go to hell for eating those baby back ribs. But we should recognize that the law is good and we sinned and we shouldn't have eaten the ribs. I would agree. I have to agree. That's the law. Right. Well, isn't one point as well as when we're given these trials, um, same as when Jacob is wrestling Angel and is disabled, his hip is out of joint, and he keeps on persevering? And look what happens after that. Yeah, well, I do think we are given trials and tests, tested by God to see if we prevail. But it's just something, you know, that's come up with as a group recently that's um, antinomian but not antinomian at the same time. It's kind of weird. I don't know how they make sense of it. So I just thought I'd make that point. And also I think Christ does uphold in his parables you know, the law of clean and unclean. So, and obviously the apostles do too. The apostles in Acts chapter 10 say, you know, don't eat blood. Um, don't eat anything strangled. And I don't think, you know, if they're upholding 
those dietary laws, I can't see an argument that would forsake one part of the dietary law and uphold the rest. When I look at the law, the only things that I can say looking at from Scripture, you know, not just deciding for myself which laws are done away with and which aren't, just, just you know, I don't want to do those laws, so they're done away with, and these ones are okay to me, so, you know, I'll just take on those, like thou shalt not murder, but forget about the rest. Well, the only laws we can really exclude are ones to do with the priesthood because Christ is a new a new high priest. So the pre- laws doing with the priesthood, like the ritual sacrifice, things of that nature, are done away with. But um, the priest never sanctified swine on the altar. So I, don't, I just don't see an argument where you can say that those laws are done away with. And these kids pretending to be authorities, I mean, if you tell someone to break the law, teach someone to break the law, that's the worst of it. You know, so I just thought about a few arguments like that, and I don't think these laws to do with sanctification are done away with, because I mean, Christ sanctified Israel. How could it be done away with? No, I don't believe that the laws determining <clears throat> clean and unclean animals are done away with for reason that those laws were at the beginning along the line of what God created. And the nature of what God created has not changed. It's, it seems to be something inherent within, an, within the animal kingdom, these unclean and clean foods, or that God has sanctified certain foods for human use or that purpose for food. And um, they never become clean. There's no account of a clean of something unclean, like unclean flesh, like swine, and becoming clean again. But an Israelite does have a path to sanctification. So I don't, I don't. The priests were never sanctifying anything unclean. So just because the priesthood is done away with, doesn't mean that you know those laws are done away with, because it wasn't to do with the priesthood. It was outside of the priesthood and. All those laws that are outside the priesthood are eternal. There's, I mean, when you look at the scripture, the only laws you can really exclude from our modern day is the circumcision and um, the rituals of the priesthood because to make a sacrifice today, you would be rejecting Christ. Right. Well, one aspect too with the uh, swine and so on real quick was... Uh, it's not even unclean versus clean. Some of it was never food in the first place. So there you go. Yeah. Well, if anyone else have a topic to bring up, there was a, there was another point I wanted to make, and this is, you know, like I said, there's some kids around who. I've just joined CI and they're very keen and they've introduced all these heresies as I'm sure we've talked about. Well, another one is that um, to do with adultery and is adultery masculine? Is it masculine to screw around with a bunch of loose women? And, you know, some people will say, well, that's based, you know. Sean Connery in James as James Bond is really a cool guy. And I don't think that is masculine. In my opinion, um, what's more masculine is a man owning a woman for wife and he's guiding her and molding her for life. He owns her. And if 
any other man touches his wife, well, they have an issue. That's very masculine. That's a very masculine trait, I think, is to want to own a woman and to want to control, you know, be a controlling man and um, control a woman and own her and take her as your unique treasure. You know, we should, I don't, I don't mean own a woman in a sense of um, a slave. I mean, own a woman as in you're taking responsibility. You want to own her. She's your treasure. You know, you cherish her and you're happy that God has given you this treasure, right? So I see that as more masculine in personality than a man who shapes himself according to whores. So he goes to the bar and he dresses himself up real nice and he flirts with all these dumb whores and he's a bit of a flirt and he's a bit of a ladies man. I don't think that's masculine. And I don't think that's cool. And the thing is that women, because of their nature, they're always going to outhaul a man. Okay? So if, if you're, if you're, um, screwing around with a bunch of whores at the bar, you know, they, they've got a, they've probably had hundreds of men, each of these women, and, and you're, and you're thinking you're a top, a top dog because you're going to the bar and you're messing, you have one, one night, you get divorced the next day, you marry another one the next night, divorce her, then I don't see how that's masculine. And I think that's something that's been introduced to our culture through movies and pop culture so that we believe that it's masculine to be this sort of ladies' man, whereas I think it's more masculine what it says in the Bible where a man keeps his wife for life. I really think that's the masculine, that's the based Absolutely. Screwing around doesn't uh, build a strong patriarchy. No, it doesn't. It does. Yeah, it's, that's a very good point, Eric. It undermines the patriarchy. Suddenly, <coughs> you will be ruled over by these bad women rather than each man owning a wife and us ruling our households. Soon, society will be destroyed through whoredom, and Yahweh God warns against that. And... um that, that, you know, that's a good point, is that it undermines um, the patriarchy. Well, well, like you said, yeah, it's not it, it, that one time, sure, but you're just uh, engaging in uh, what's shared with how many men at that point, you know? Same as yeah. the Trinity. It's very anti-patriarchy, you know? <laughs> you, don't, you don't own a wife anymore. You know, you don't own a woman anymore. You're owned by women almost, and you're shaped by women. Rather than one man shaping his wife and him treasuring her, now you're owned by the whores. And, um, you know, that does undermine the patriarchy. I think it's something that we've taken on from Jewish pop culture, and we've, and a lot of people have never separated themselves from that. Just as they've never separated themselves from eating swine flesh, they've never thought to separate themselves from Jewish pop culture and think about what is masculine. And the thing is, back in the old days, no one, no one would have thought that an adulterer was cool. Okay, if this guy was going around to and. He, he married my sister, right? I don't have a sister, but let's say I do. And he marries my sister and he makes all these promises to her. And he says, hey, girl, you know, I love you, girl. And I'm going to marry you, girl. And we're going to be together, right? And he tells her that. And then um, he's with her for maybe a week. And she's crying her heart out because he lied to her. And then he moves on to the next girl, right? Maybe your sister, Eric. I don't know if you have a sister, right? 
and this guy's doing this in a small community in the 50s, how long do you think he's going to last? You know, because if he if he annoys me and he does that, and then he annoys you, I mean, we can see in the law that God says, kill the adulterer. You know, I'm not saying that we should do that today because we can't uphold the law today, but he wouldn't have been a hero in the old days. He would not have been a hero. He wouldn't have had a family, so... It's an attack on the family. It's not based. It's an attack on the family. It's a Jewish attack on the family. It undermines the law of God. It's not cool. And um, I don't think they would have lasted two seconds in the old days because you and me, Eric, we would have got together and we would have sought out this guy and, you know, he would have had to leave town. Probably in the real old days, he wouldn't have even got the chance to leave town, I would think. So it's not cool. It's not based. James Bond was Jewish subversion of our culture. I don't know about Sean Connery because he's just playing, he's just an actor playing a role and his real life wasn't the same as what he was portraying in these films. But it, it was a subversion of our culture. We should be given role models that are really masculine and that are really heroes. And I think it's more masculine to want to own a wife for life rather than being some ladies man. Who, who tries and talks real sweet and, you know, dresses himself up and gels back his hair. That's, that's not a hero to me. That's not a role model and it isn't based, you know, when I think about it. But I'm basing the, I'm, it's not just my opinion because I'm basing this on what I find in the Bible. Joe, hmm. you're rambling, you're rambling, you're rambling. I can't get a damn word in. <laughs> well, are we still Sorry, being recorded? I, I wanted to keep going because I couldn't hear you, Bill. Uh, I don't think that's why you're... I'm I'm waiting for an opportunity to get a word in. I was worried. Are we still being recorded? Yes. Okay, can I ask a question? Not until I reply to Joe. Uh, Oh, Jesus. I guess I'll check next next time. I'm sorry, Ed. I've been waiting for this for 10 minutes. Go on. Uh, Joe, I know that you probably brought this up because certain people from the Christianity Forum who have been rejected all seem to end up in the same group online <laughs> on Telegram. Is that true? Yeah, well, that's true. Yeah, so I'm trying to edify um, those. Make a point about that. No, that's good. I, I mean, part of our principles, right? But we have well, biblical yeah. principles, so we don't we don't um, condone or accept or agree with a man who is a loose cannon and who is going to go around engaging in the corruption of women, even if those women are already corrupt. We don't condone a man who is going to float from um, bar to bar looking to make women to bed them for a night or a weekend and then abandon them in in a fleeting relationship which is basically fornication right well because part of it too is uh you know even if it's not our direct sisters joe our race is our extended family so it's someone's sister daughter mother perhaps that's why you don't condone it for your brethren either the whole Sean Connery thing. Well, sometimes I wonder, did their dad really love them if their dad's just going to let their, you know, their daughters run loose? I mean, 
Someone's responsible. <laughs> it's probably the men. It is the men, but it's sad because it's not, you know, there's not that care and concern for women anymore. And law of God, we find that the man shapes the woman and that the man, you know, he, he owns a woman. I mean, in the Old Testament, your wife was like your property. So I, I'm basing all this on what the law says in the Bible. It's not It's not only my opinion, and I think that's right. I think that's true, what it says. Joe, I don't think any Old of us About a man shaping a woman, a man guiding a woman, and you know, them sticking together for life. I think sure. that's the ideal, and I think that's masculine. I just meant Joe. to reinforce that is why we don't. Just because it's not our direct... Uh, family doesn't mean it's okay for other people because our race is our extended family. Well, well, of course, every, every white woman is your sister. It, if you believe that we all descended from Adam and especially from Jacob, every white woman is your sister. And, and Joe, I don't think anybody here disagrees that, that the Sean Connery, that the, persona he exhibited in film as James Bond. That is absolutely antithetical to Christian society. No Christian should ever uphold that as a role model. That is a model of evil, that you could go around corrupting women, sleeping with them, and and forgetting them in, in a day or two. The problem is that this dating culture is what Sean Connery and James Bond were what were founded on, is this dating culture. And the idea of dating is wrong, where, where courtship, an agreement between a man and a woman's father to court that woman as a bride, as a possible bride, and and marry her and remain committed to her forever. That's the ideal godly and masculine model. I agree. We had mentioned earlier, Joe, the new wine and old uh, wineskins, this, uh, this understanding and trying to fit that into this pop culture, like whoring around. Um, it's just going to subvert your patriarchy as it's intended to. Well, think about how quickly the dating culture would change overnight if we did have, because someone said to me, how's the law going to change, going to fix feminism, right? And how's the law going to fix our current situation? Well, imagine if, and I'm not saying we should do this, but imagine if we still stoned adulterers, people who cheated on their wives or husbands, that would change the dating culture overnight because and also people would think, hey, do I really want to be with this person for life? And they would make better decisions. They wouldn't meet someone in a bar that they barely knew and marry them unless they're really foolish. Instead, they would say, wow, do I want to be tied to... I'm, I'm looking for the right one. And I'm looking for someone to spend my youth and my old age with. So if you did have the Old Testament laws, it would change, I think, the... um the dating culture straight away. We wouldn't have the dating culture we have where basically whores rule. You know, it would it would change the dating culture overnight if adulterers were stoned. But Joe Think about it. <laughs> Joe, Joe, hold on, I gotta correct you. You're absolutely wrong. I've been listening to you. You're hundred percent wrong. We don't have a dating culture. It's a hookup culture. Dating culture was nineteen nineties. 2010, 2020, it's a hookup culture. 
they don't get flowers. Dating cultures, we go to the girl, pick her up, you got flowers, you know, right? After the date, you take her back to the house, you're looking for a kiss. Now, all that skip, you're going straight to the, uh, the couch or their bedroom, and you're uh, open for much more than a kiss. Yeah, look at Tinder. Right, but that's it's an important distinction, right? Because so how things progress, right? You know, back in the 50s and 60s, it was courting, and then you speed it forward, and then to the 90s, you get into dating, and now it's hookup culture. So 20 years from now, let's say, uh, what, what, what will the relationships between men and women look like if it went from, like, courting to dating to hookup culture? What's after hookup culture? Well, even uh, even dating is flawed because usually you would meet the the woman through her menfolk. Yep. Well, that's a good point, Ed, because um, think about how shallow our relationships are now. If you, if you were married to a girl for life and she's like the love of your life, you're going to have a very trusting and deep relationship, right? You're going to want you you would be prepared to die for that girl. Hey, you would be prepared to protect her at all costs. But if it's just some whore you met in the bar last night, are you going to want to die for her? Are you going to want to have a family with her? It's a very shallow relationship. I know. Bill and Melissa want me to die for some Irish bar t- uh, waitress before kids. I mean, it's, it's fucked up. Well, Oh, stop that. Stop that. Uh, well, I ain't going to die. Ed, just stop that. Chick. Stop that, Ed. Stop okay. That. All right. That's not uh, true. No, no, no. All right. Okay. Uh, you know. Oh, yeah. All the girls, the, the ones that have been, a, you know, a good choice. Oh, no. They're mamsers. Oh, really? Uh I don't know. Hold it. Whoa, 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 whoa. Ed, Ed, come on. Just because a girl has a hot ass doesn't mean she's a good choice. She wasn't wasn't white. uh, She wasn't white. She was part fucking Filipino or part squat monster. Stop that shit. Okay. Oh, boy. Uh, Ed's talking about... I'm sorry, Joe. Ed is talking about an experience we had with um, our League of the South chapter in in a particular restaurant in Lynn Haven back a few months ago when he found a certain young waitress attractive, but Melissa and I told him repeatedly that she was not white, and he wouldn't believe it because he thought she had a hot ass. So, but she wasn't the, she wasn't the only her, one there. There was, then there was the other white yeah, waitress. Yeah, there were two of them. There were two of them. Yep. And, and we told you that neither of them were white. And we were right about them both, but you were protesting against, <laughs> against <laughs> the outcome. Yeah, Ed's exactly. Out the camel in the desert, and Ed's like, "Oh, I'm going for this. I'm it's going for this." Camel, and Ed was like, "Hold up, hold up, man." It's Ed, a mirage. Ed's problem, <laughs> Ed, Ed's problem is that the fat broad downtown with four kids was a hundred percent white. Well, first of all, you never provide me the big DNA or blood test or family lineage, like ancestry.com profile, nothing. Okay. So, so one of them, you, you can have, you can have one of those, either the weight or the kid. You can't have both. I'm sorry. 
that's not how it works. No, but I did want to share something and ask a question. So the first thing I wanted to share regarding no comments about the age of believers, you know, not the clownish, you know, tendencies of certain young people notwithstanding. I do got to share this verse. Um, 1 Timothy 4.12, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers as an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. That's a little tongue-in-cheek, right? Um, Let's take that uh, in context. Let's take that in context. (laughs) Timothy was obviously... 4.12. Timothy, the young man, Timothy, was obviously learned in the scriptures and hand-chosen by Paul of Tarsus to be um, a leader of these certain Christian assemblies. So he gave him that advice because quite often younger men can be a lot more learned and and knowledgeable of the scriptures than older men. All right. All right I appreciate that. Um kind of well, what was some cold water. Well, that was just a little ton in cheek. You know, we, we were hard, we were getting on to see young young kids over oh, there in the I Telegram. Know. No, no, no. So it's ton in cheek, not to say the substance of what you're talking about is wrong. It's just that I like to throw it in there. This is a little bit of a you know humorous Bible verse, and Bill kind of you know ruined my fun there. So that's always good. Oh. <laughs> well, 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 I'm sorry. Said. I, I, I'm sorry. I understand what you're saying. I you're supposed to you're go going. along with however I want to apply a Bible verse at any given time. Don't you know that? <sighs> That's what Judeo Christians do. I'm sorry. Ed's over here with the camel in the desert. He's he's like, yeah, but did you see the hump on that camel? Yeah, exactly. Did you see the hump? (laughs) The hump. I didn't get to to the rest of it. I'm still at the hump. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I asked you. I said, uh, is the ass cheeks where the DNA results are? Well, they were uh, they were anointed, as Michael likes to say. You know, they, they were blessed for sure. Uh, no, but I had a serious question I, I wanted to bring up earlier, but as can I say like something a, before you ask your yeah. question, Ed? Yeah. If that's your way, if that's your standard for choosing girls, well, when you pick a girl according to those standards, you know, you better be happy with what you get. Well. That's you know, now listen. If y'all, if we're assuming now that she's white, not that she's a mamzer, but if Yahweh, you know, blessed her in such a manner, who am I to deny His creation? Yeah, well, if, that, if that's the way you go about it, and that's you know, you should pick. I believe that men should pick the girl. You know, so um, you know, if that's if that's your way of picking a girl, well, that's good. Maybe you'll be happy with her, but well, maybe maybe she's lonely. Think people. about this. Maybe she's lonely. Think about it. Most guys are afraid to talk to girls, especially pretty girls, especially pretty girls with their ears that would, uh, <clears throat> um, right. So, so they're lonely. They're not used to getting talked to. Come on, man. Stop that. So Stop I, I don't want, I did not hurt to commit suicide because I didn't talk to her. I don't want ability on my heart. No, but I had a real question. No, I had a real question. So I've been reading about the history of like, you know, Anglo Israel, British Israel, and then how it got to like CI light and then like Christian, Christian identity up like into the eighties and nineties. So my question is going back to British Israelism, uh, focus or obsession with setting dates for the second coming. Uh, 
getting into like uh, basically the worship of the great pyramids of Egypt using those of some type of Bible code to figure out when Christ was supposed to return. Oh, well, Bill, can you can you talk uh, about that a little bit uh, in the context of why were all these British Israel Christians and did they say when Christ ate only the Father notes the date and time? Why why have all Christians been into date setting? Even people try to push me or or force me into that, but I refuse. Can you to mute yourself again, Fink. Tell my time. I, I asked a question. No, I, when think, you know, I, I think the, Hunter the, muted me. I, I think, whoa, 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 whoa! Damn it! I think Hunter mutes me when somebody else is talking, and it was my turn to talk. So let me talk so so that Hunter doesn't mute me again. Hunter's the moderator. Um, why have all Christians been uh, been obsessed with date setting? That there is an articles on Christogenia about date setting that I borrowed from some other website that were actually pretty good that listed all the times that Christians date set the end of the world and the return of Jesus for the last um, thousand years at least. It was going to be the thousand year millennium, that it was going to be 1666, and, and they were caught up in some Jew Messiah who was going to re- return and and... Wow. That this date setting thing has always been a fascination of people and and people have tried to push me into it. Come on, Bill, what do you think? What do you think is gonna be? When do you think Jesus is gonna return? Blah 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 blah. People have tried to push me into it and I refuse to go there. And and they get offended when you refuse. Because they want to hear something that tickles their ears. It, it's crazy this yeah. date setting obsession. I agree. We can't set dates. But uh, I think it, the last, you know what I think the last ahead. remnant was eight. Go on it. Oh no, sorry. I just uh, the muting thing I, I got me off for a second. What I was going to say is, from reading like the history of British Israelism up to the end of War Two, where pretty much fizzled out, and that. When the, like Christian identity started to, um, you know, morph from like British Israel to Christian identity, but it was interesting if the British uh, Israel crowd wasn't so focused on date setting, if, and then if they would actually focus on scholarship, they would have um, gotten to the Christian identity, you know, the Jewish question about you know the actual identity um, or a genetic uh, lineage of the Jews much quicker because that was their problem is they understood that they were uh, Israel, but their problem was that they believed that the Jews were Judah. Uh, and then they gave them way too much uh, lenience. Um, and if I think if they didn't focus on the day setting, they would have had their eye on the ball much more quicker and probably wouldn't have resulted in a lot of stuff that passed in the last uh, 50 to 100 years. Yeah, you know, I think they focused on date setting because they didn't have their eye on the ball. They took for granted that the Jews were telling the truth about the Bible. They never investigated the true identity of the Jews because they took it for granted that the Jews were telling the truth. So where do you turn to next? When you think you know everything, 
Where do you turn to next? Telling the future. That's the only place to go. If you think you know everything about the past. That's the way I see it. So they turn to date setting. And and similar errors. Maybe I'm wrong about that, but if you're full of yourself that you think you know everything that there is to know about the present and the past, then you turn to the future. Right. Well, am I correct? I think it's something that you say is the uh, the prophecies and scripture and whatnot. A lot of it, it's not to tell the future. It's to, tell, to recognize the past and to learn from the past. Right. Exactly. It is. It's written in a way that you can't tell the future. But you can read it and look back once it's fulfilled and see that God is true. I mean, sure, there is somewhat of an aspect. Yeah, we're told what's going to happen in some regards, but uh, not exactly. That doesn't mean, I mean, no man knows the date. That that date stuff is all gematria, which is it's for those for those people who are listening who don't know gematria is is a Jewish thing. Uh, they use it in in the Talmud and the Torah. Uh, it's assigning an alphanumeric code to a to a name or a word or a phrase based on the letters that it has. This is always always that stuff they do. They they use it's 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 an attempt to try and use made up math and and make believe magic to predict the future. Right. And it is explicitly Jewish. It's 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 an it's an aspect of Jewish law that a lot of a lot of Goyim don't understand. Well, if Jews are using it for the Torah, you know, that must be their way of interpreting the Bible because they can't interpret, you know, what the Bible actually says. So they use all kinds of ways to get around what the Bible actually says. Right. And I mean, and God makes fools of them. God says outright, he will make fools of them. I will come as a thief in the night. Right. No, no man knows the hour. Even, even, and, and that's so true. I'm, please correct me if I'm wrong, Bill. That's so true that even, even Christ didn't know. God, God in the form of a man didn't know the hour of, of the end. Didn't he, didn't he, did he confessed that only, only. Well, well, I really well, think, I think he, he did know the that. hour. But he just didn't, from the perspective of man, he was trying to show how men should think about that. That's yeah, right. I, I don't think he forgot that he was God or that he forgot that he was the Messiah. Right, yeah. We're, I'm, we're, I'm not saying that. I'm, I'm just saying that, that no man knows, right? And, 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 and God outright says that. That's stated in the Bible, that no man knows the hour. I will come as a thief in the night. You don't know when example, I'll come back. That's the example that he set, and that's what we should accept. You're right. That's what we should accept. And why do we have such a hard time accepting it? Exactly. So when Christ prays, it's as an example for men. Many of the things that Christ does are for an example for men and as king of Israel. Exactly. Or as Messiah. So he's, he's setting an example as the Messiah. It's, you know, it's not because, um, I'm not saying Dasho is saying this. I'm just saying that it's not because the Trinity is true that he's praying to the Father because he, you know, he's a separate person or something. Exactly, exactly. And I know that's not what's being stated, but uh, obviously in some circles it has been. But uh, a good example is in the garden where he says, 
where he stops him and he says, do you think I can't call down thousands of <laughs> members to stop this? You know, but exactly. He constantly sets the earthly example. This and is I, how you should pray. And then he prays, you know, and then he sets other examples of praying and things like that. These people, these people who, who hunt for those dates and things like that and who always try to use gematria and other tricks, they're, they're, they're literally no different from, from all these people who are predicting, you know, the, the end of the world is going to come because of climate change or, or global warming or global cooling, right? The, it's, it's, it's the exact same thing and it all, it astounds me as much when one group does it as when another group does it. They'll, they'll predict it. They'll, they'll, They'll put their stamp on it. They'll say, this is when it's going to happen. Five years from now, if you don't change your ways, you're going to be 20 feet underwater. I was supposed to be 20 feet underwater in like 2008, y'all. I, I've got gills. I've got a confession to make. I'm, yeah, I'm actually, right. I'm coming to y'all from underwater. All right. Yeah. And, and every single time they're proven wrong, it's just, it goes right over them like, like water off a duck, right? It's just, they shrug it off and just immediately make the next prediction. Right. They immediately say, well, OK, it didn't happen then because of, you know, stuff and things. And because you but it's definitely going to happen. It's definitely going to happen next month, though. Right. And it's the same thing. I, I don't understand how those Protestant churches have anybody left. I'm sorry. I'll shut up. But I don't understand how anybody still listens to those people. And Eli James made a prediction like that. And um, that means you. he's a false prophet, isn't it? And he should. And what's it say about the false prophet? You know, the test of a false prophet. If you make a false prophecy and it's not in the name of God, but you pretend it is, you know, you're a false prophet and there's, there's consequences for that. So all these people are false prophets then, I guess. Well, well, thanks, Joe, because um, I, I wanted to bring up Eli James, and you did at that exact moment. It, it's Eli, the most embarrassing thing about working with him for two years was he had a 2012 countdown calendar yeah. timer on his website from the time I met him or the time I got out of prison, let me put it that way, in in 29, he had that countdown timer for December 21st, 2012 on his website. And I kept trying to talk him out of it, but he didn't want to hear it. He wouldn't reverse himself on it. He left it on there and insisted on it. So then... Probably in 2010, Eli asked me to make him a new website, an updated website, because his website technology was old. So I made him an updated website, and I told him that the, the timer code wouldn't work. And he said, okay. And his new website didn't have it on there. Now, of course, I could make the timer code work. Of course I could, but Eli fell for it, and I removed the code from his website. I just omitted it. Classic IT. It, it was so embarrassing that he had that on there. That, you, that... you know what's more? Go on, Joe. Well, it was based on a bastard calendar, wasn't it? Wasn't it like the Aztecs or something? Their calendar only went to 2012, so that means the end of the world is 2012. So you're basically taking the Aztecs as prophets, and they're a bastard people. Why well, would a Christian well, identist do right. that? 
I agree with that. I agree with that. But it's worse. It's some white man's interpretation of an Aztec calendar when the last Aztec has been dead for hundreds of years. That's even worse. Yeah, it's like you're kneeling down before the Aztecs in their culture and, you know, you're, you're respecting their teachers and that what their scripture and what, you know, their supposed gods say rather than what our god says. Maybe the Aztecs just ran out of ink or chisels or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I don't even care. <laughs> Maybe they just didn't think to, 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 that they would need a calendar past that date until the day came. Who knows? Who the fuck knows? How can you put your head in another person's culture and time and place and imagine to know or understand what they intended? So, so, so here's the thing. The, the, the Aztecs inscribed their calendars on wheels. They inscribed Describe their calendar as a circle. That's how they described it because that, that was just the way they did it. They would put it on a wheel. So, you know, because that's how the seasons work, right? Is, is spring, summer, fall, winter, then back, back to spring. I, I can't prove this because I, I, I do respect archaeology enough. I'm not going to just pull something out of my ass, but knowing how they built the calendars and the math that they used for it, I guarantee you what happened is the poor son of a bitch they got to do the giant calendar just said, you know what? I'm not making a second wheel. This is as far as it goes. I'm sorry. Everyone's going to be dead by the time this is done. So it's fine. It's fine. Just stop. Yeah. Right. That's probably how it happened. I agree with that. I agree. I I mean, if you were charged today for your little community in, in Southeast Virginia, Dasho, we need a calendar that that's going to, let our community operate the next 50 years. So you sit down and you make a calendar for 50 years. Does that mean the world's going to end in 50 years? No. That means that that's what those people at that time intended on requiring. It is a calendar for the next 50 years. That You can't put your head into the Mayan society of whenever the hell it really existed, 500, 800, 1600 years ago, I don't remember. I don't remember the details. But you can't put your head into that and imagine what that you know what was on their minds. So the whole Mayan calendar thing was a joke from the beginning. And, now, and, and isn't this... It was never meant to be a prediction, but white people hundreds of years later, made a prediction out of it. And Eli James fell for it. And all the fools that fell for it should be discredited. Every one of them. Well, this is is another example of um, people conforming themselves to pop culture rather than the Bible. Because um, like we were saying before about adultery and eating foods that the you know, that the heathen eat, like they'll eat cockroaches and stuff like that. Like we take on their culture rather than, you know, trying to form our worldview based on the Bible. And so so that's another example of, you know, a bastard culture like coming into our culture, you know, infiltrating our culture 
and undermining it. Well, you may as well bring in niggers and Canaanites if you bring in Mayans. Even in Australia. I I keep talking when I'm muted. I'm sorry. You may as well bring in niggers and Canaanites if you're going to bring in Mayans. They don't belong. We should get our worldview from Scripture and our doctrine solely from Scripture so no man knows the day. And as soon as somebody tries to drag a Mayan into the equation, that person should be stoned, should be ostracized from the community, and should lose all respect. And the Bible says to stone him, like, if if a prophet teaches you to follow another god, that prophet shall surely die. And so if you prophesize in the name of this, these bastard Aztec gods, that's what you're doing is you're leading our people to another false god and that prophet should die. Well, that's right. Well, whether it's now or the reoccurring theme throughout our history, it's always the same. Every time we break away from what we're given, look what we get. That's a good way of looking at it. That's exactly how it should be seen. That people like Eli James that are quick to do that that they should die. They should be ostracized, at least, by modern Christians. They should be a laughing stock. Eli should be mocked for that bullshit. I did mock him, but nobody listened, or, or at least not enough people listened. I think with that Mayan calendar, Aztec calendar thing being round, right, uh, it could relate to their concept of time being cyclical versus linear don't know just throwing that out there well well yeah but yet you know in the long run it does not matter because my encounters do not belong in a christian worldview at all you remember how um those orthotars you know those orthodox christians who hate us were you know mocking us, they were trying to mock us and make fun of us, yet they followed that um, Hindu calendar that says there's like the bad age and then we rotate into the good age and we're, and they say we're currently in the time of, you know, some some god, is it the time of trial or something like that? We're the in the Hindu age calendar? of demons, the, the lowest age, the age of lies, the Kali Yuga. Uh, Kali Yuga, that's it. That's what they were saying. They were going on about the Kali Yuga and how, you know, time is cyclical and all that. And it's like, where's that in the Bible? And they're Orthodox Christians, supposedly. You know, what is that? I don't even know well, what that is. Well, it's that's an total paganism. That, that's an acceptance of paganism. That's an acceptance of... um synchronism where, where all world religions are valid and we can synchronize them all and and with this syncretism we we can reconcile all world religions into one that that is evil that that's absolutely well, what the god of the bible rejects 
things like that are inevitable with the Eastern Orthodoxy because the Eastern Orthodoxy promotes Eurasianism. They don't consider themselves to be a, a European religion at all. They claim that they have more in common with the Turks and India and the Chinese than they do with Germans and Anglo-Saxons and the French and, you know, the, the Norwegians and the Danes. And the Austrians. So it's, 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 it's an extension of, of that Eurasianist sentiment. This idea of them rejecting where they obviously came from and instead choosing to try and embrace the foreigner as a brother instead. I mean, obviously they promote things like the Kali Yuga. Why wouldn't they? You, you find this sort of thing all over the place in, in the things that the Eastern Orthodoxy promotes. I think we need to make a concerted effort to to document some of these things, Dashiell. I really do. So that when we address East, Eastern Orthodoxy, we can present a bigger picture. I'm, I would agree. I'll have to start building up a file for notes. I really didn't know that the Eastern Orthodoxy would accept Indian Hinduism. That's, no, they'll accept anything. They pay them tithes. That's even beyond the ecumenism of the Roman Catholic Church, I think. I, I would actually tend to agree because while modern Roman Catholics are still like true universalists and they're still trying to convince Africa to be Catholic, the the more the, the for the greater breadth of, of Catholic history, they may have been universalists, but they were they were European universalists. They always saw the 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 Negro or the Indian or the Chinaman, they always saw them as a stranger and an outsider, not someone who has anything of value or that needs to be talked to. Whereas whereas the Eastern or Eastern Orthodoxy has a a streak of xenophilia embedded in it, in, and in fact, because I was listening to that the, the podcast you posted earlier, xenophilia isn't even the proper word, is it? Because they're, they're not even xenos, because that would still imply they have some relation to us. They're they're a complete stranger. They're a total outsider, aren't they? Well, well the, the modern use of the word xenos is another deception. Xenos, the, the term Xenos doesn't apply to a nigger in a white society. A nigger has no expectation of hospitality in a white society. If the white society is really white, he should go back to his own little tribe in his own little world. Well, that's true, because in the Greek, A Xenos is a guest friend, isn't it? So it would be a kindred nation that has an expectation of hospitality. So it's not really, so that doesn't really include niggers and chinks and all the rest. They shouldn't have no expectation of hospitality because they're not a guest friend. Right. They would be seen as invaders, not as, not as sojourners. English is really dumbed down in a lot of ways. Our entire culture and language has been dumbed down. It, it's a process ongoing for six or eight hundred years now, or longer. Yeah, they keep redefining words like mankind. We, we've all seen that dictionary definition from 1994, and in the di um, definition it lists mankind. 
white society or people. So did, did our fathers see non-whites as men or mankind or even Adam kind? No, they saw non-whites not as men. They weren't men. So when, when you see all men in the Bible, you have to think that they had a view of men as it didn't include these. these. <laughs> so what we think of men today. Same as humankind is not humane kind is not Adamic kind. Yeah, I remember Bill saying, how is a nigger humane? You know, how have they ever lived in a humane way? You know, in all these words, we have like um, genies that are related to genetic, like gentle, you know. And kindness has two meanings, like your kind and showing kindness to your kind. You know, so we've got all these little um, connections in our language, but they've been perverted so that we should show kindness to those who aren't of our kind and be gentle to those who aren't of the same, you know, genetics as us. And we should be humane to those who aren't even human. Exactly. Now, I'm not, I'm, <laughs> it just sounds, it's just funny. May, may I interject one thing really quick just before I forget it? Um, I know we were being lighthearted earlier for the most part, but um, just for the sake of a lot, a lot of our brethren in the same position, um, as far as when we were talking about the new age dating scene, if you will, uh, Emma Heiser said that the enemy's greatest weapon isn't nukes, it's miniskirts, right? Um, if uh, if all your, I'm not disregarding biological needs and whatnot, but if all you're chasing is that um, pop culture chasing the tail scene, don't be surprised when Yahweh puts a fleshly trial in front of you. Yeah, well, I think women should wear dresses and dress like women, but it's another matter if she's going out and trying to get male attention when she already has a husband because that undermines... Uh, the authority of her husband, doesn't it? So I'm, I'm guessing that's sort of what, more what Emma Heiser means, and that's true, I think, because if you're going to take your wife in public, you want her to dress very con- more conservative than perhaps she would dress for you, the things she does for you. She might arrange her hair real nice for you, so when you come home, you know, that sort of thing. But you don't want her doing that for other men because she's yours. You know, that's, that's the whole point is that, that, that's the whole point I'm making is that that's masculine. You know, if you're taking your wife out there in a miniskirt and saying, Hey guys, look at my wife. She's for everyone. You know, you're sharing her around. Oh, absolutely. No, well, that makes you a cuck. That makes you a cuck and your wife surely enjoys the attention. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I, I agree 100%. I didn't mean to derail us there completely. I just, uh, before I forget, I thought it was an important point. Um, but yeah, the, there is definitely that aspect is, yeah, at home, I mean, she's, she's your wife. I mean, she should want to please you, you should want to please her. But, uh, there is also that aspect, I think, an underlying aspect is, uh, I just meant, I meant to, uh, associate it with the pop culture mentality of just going out and chasing tail. Um, I mean, if that's, if you're just in that game, I mean, don't, don't be surprised when you get some 
something, uh, what would they say nowadays, bootylicious or something? I don't fucking know. But uh, don't be surprised when you're given trials to fit uh, your lacking. Well, yeah, right. what, what, what's going to be your wife? Role? I'm sorry, Joe. I, I want to, this has been three hours and I want to start to bring it to a close. Just, and, and excuse me for that. Just, if, if you want to share your wife with everybody by showing her off because she has large breasts or, or as Ed would say, a hot ass or whatever, then you deserve to be a cock. You deserve to lose her. And and she is. I don't think I used the word hot ass. I think that was your words. Uh, but wow. okay, so we'll go with that. But no, basically, you deserve to to lose her because you're so willing to share her. Think about Jerusalem and the time that the Babylonians sent ambassadors to Jerusalem, and I forget exactly which king it was. But he was, he, he was happy to show off all the gold and all the treasures of the temple. And 20 years later, I think it may have been Manasseh. I, I forget, but 20 years later, the Babylonians conquered Jerusalem and had all those treasures and gold. They possessed it. So that's, yeah, it that's the lesson. That when you show off what you have, that somebody else is stronger than you is going to come and take it. And that's the same thing when you show off your wife and have her dress in skimpy clothing and, and like a slut that some other man is going to end up, end up with her. It's inevitable. And you should have your woman, like, um, not seeking validation from other men. She should be shaped by you alone. You don't want her, um, trying to seek the attention of other men. She should no. be seeking your opinion and your, and to do what you want her to do. If you're happy with your wife, she should, should be happy with herself, period. Yeah. So she doesn't need boob jobs. She doesn't need plastic surgery. She doesn't need um, mini skirts or anything like that. If you're happy with your wife, she should be happy with herself, period. Yeah, I don't disagree. For, for the record, though, just so I don't I don't want to come off as uh, promoting anything wrong, but I, I didn't mean in public as, as far as what I was saying. I, I meant like in the privacy of your own household. Not saying she's got to dress like a whore. Don't get me wrong. I don't mean to take it to an extreme, but just just for the record. Anyways, I I agree though. Well, on that Ed, note, I, I know oh. that hump has is really big, Ed, but but it, don't trust it. It's just water weight. No, that wasn't water weight. She didn't have much weight. Let me tell you that. Wow, Ed, stop it. Jeez. <laughs> On that note, I'm, I'm going to end this podcast. I mean, y'all could stay here and talk, but I'm going to end the recording and call it a podcast. I appreciate your participation. I think we did cover some points that we should have covered. And it is what it is. Thank you for being here and praise Yahweh. Y'all could stay and talk longer, but I'm going to end the recording. <laughs>